now. Three, two, one, go! What's up, everybody? Welcome in, and thanks for joining us for a new episode of Cooldown Time. Uh, my name's Marco. I'm your graphically outdated host. Joining me, as always, the technical mess of the show himself, Pablo, is here. Pablo, how's it going, man? What's going on? Yeah, man, uh, it's going well. Uh, a bit of a stressful week. My anxiety has never been higher. Mm. Uh, I thought I was dying of six or seven heart attacks. <laughs> Damn. Uh, but nope, turns out I'm still alive. Uh, and, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see if, uh, in the course of the show, if I drop dead, oh, uh, we oh. don't know. I mean, death comes for everybody, you know? Oh, That's wow. We say. got real morbid immediately. Um, that, that yeah. is, do you have a life alert necklace anywhere nearby that you can keep on deck at, at all? Or what are we doing here? No, I just let it go. Just kind of let go with it. Wow. All right. Gave up on life here at Cooldown Time. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, man. Uh, well, I'm doing better than that. Uh, if, we're, if we're, you know, competing here for who's having a better time. Um, my dad's been in town uh, for the last week or so. Um, it's always good to see Pops. Got a chance to hang out with him. He got a chance to hang out with me and his granddaughter, which is always cool. Uh, they played games together. She taught him how to play Paw Patrol. Taught him how to play... Um, uh, Sackboy on on PS5. She was. I, I was having a proud dad moment just seeing her pass down the knowledge, uh, <laughs> the brilliance, if you will, that I've that I've bestowed upon her. Uh, so yeah, it was good to see that uh, happen. And uh, he's kind of getting back into the you know curiosity about gaming thing again. He he, he used to play Skyrim back in the day, like hardcore. Uh, and I told him about Starfield for the first time, and he was like, "Oh my God, you're kidding me." So he's uh, he's gonna start looking into getting into the gaming scene again. Um, so I don't know, maybe have a maybe have a guest on the show in the near I'm future. About to say, get, get your dad <laughs> up in the show. Let's talk about a little bit of Starfield. Now the problem with my dad is that something's wrong with him mentally. I don't know what happened to him. He's just crazy, uh, uh, crazier than cat shit. If you want to know specifics, okay. Uh, I, mean, I that's turned the out perfect fit. I turned out fine. Uh, Absolutely not. Uh, wait a minute. That's not. That's not what friends do to support each other, sir. No, um, tr friends tell truths. Mm, yeah. You are not okay. You've been you've been lying like a motherfucker this whole episode. <laughs> all two minutes and twenty seconds of it. I digress, man. I digress. We uh, we have a pretty big episode. Um, that's probably going to start sounding redundant at this point. But this time, uh, with the closure of the ABK deal with Microsoft, I think we have a good excuse to say that it is going to be a pretty big episode for us. Uh, so we are going to be talking about that, uh, as well as many, many other things. So why don't we go ahead and jump right into it, man. Let's start with the segment dedicated to the games we've been playing uh, since our last uh, our lassiners, wow! Since our lassos last heard from us, <laughs> oh, <very laughs> I can't nice. speak, man. Listen, it's been it's been a long week. Um, anyways, that segment I was trying to get started with is called loadouts. Let's do it. All systems nominal. Loadouts ready. All right, man. So uh, we got some new stuff to talk about this week. So I want to kick it over yeah. to you first and walk us through the first game on your docket. Yeah, so uh, the first game on my docket here is a new game, and it's Lords of the Fallen, not to be confused with the Lords of the Fallen. Yeah. Uh, so basically, just so those who don't know, uh, 
this is another one of those souls like i guess if if we want to go back to our our history here just a couple of weeks ago i guess if you look at lies of p as a bloodborne 2 then undoubtedly uh lords of the fallen is dark souls 4 in that sense uh aesthetically and kind of what they're trying to do and where they get all their inspiration from really kind of stems uh from uh from dark souls like i said lords of the fallen is a reboot of the the lords of the fallen a 2014 game it's that that game was one of the first kind of games to try to emulate the Souls-like formula, and it wasn't very good. Uh, it, it it missed the mark by quite a bit, uh, and so they've decided to go ahead and try again here. This game has been in development hell for a very long time. It's been rebooted, I think, two or three different times, started as a sequel, and now it's essentially a sequel that's also a reboot. Uh, so the events of the previous game have happened. Uh, what the, what were those events? I don't fucking know. It's mm -mm. a souls like, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, you know, leading up to this game, I would have to admit that I was looking forward to this game a lot more than I was for Lies of P. My kind of my disdain, let's say my uh my pre my preconceived notions for Lies of P are really well uh, documented here. Basically, didn't think that game was gonna work. And if I had to put my eggs in the in one basket in terms of what Souls like was going to hit this year, it would have definitely been Lords of the Fallen just based on everything that I saw. And the fact that a lot of pre pre release buzz was about the game was that yeah this is one this is the one that's going to really uh, take the Souls like formula and, and, and advance it a little bit forward. Um, yeah, that's not quite what what Lords of the Fallen is though. Lords of the Fallen is not a disaster by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it is a Souls like clone, sure, uh, but so far. Uh, it, it hasn't reached the heights of any From Software game, and it lags pretty substantially behind even the likes of Lies of P. Uh, but for all those things, it's, it struggles uh, with the core of the game, though the ideas behind the game are very good. Uh, again, just like most Souls likes, it does not shy away from the fact that this is inspired by From Software uh, in many different ways. Uh, but look, I, I, to, just just to kind of get this portion out of the way, the story, don't ask me. Mm. I don't know. Uh, I think that the basis is based on the open cinematic is that you are been entrusted to uh, take down these five, uh, I forgot what they call them, uh, these five, uh, I have my notes here, beacons. Five beacons, that's what they call them. Oh. Uh, each of these beacons are kind of, protected by bosses so essentially there's there's about five main bosses in the game i guess uh and these beacons need to be taken down in order to prevent a evil god from coming over and taking over the land that's kind of where you are that's the story and that's kind of where uh the the game kind of sets you off uh again uh the combat let's start there because i think that's the most important thing about any souls like uh it is decent it does what it's supposed to do. The problem is, is that the combat feels very floaty at times. Uh, your character's do uh, roll dodge, like, it, it launches you, like, 15 feet forward. It's, like, a very aggressive roll dodge your character is deceptively fast and so you would think with that that you'd be able to dodge a lot of attacks from enemies because of the fact that you are so nimble here's the issue these enemies and these bosses specifically have a tracking system that's absolutely insane. One move will launch them forward 20 feet. So even though oh, you rolled man. out of the way, it, that whether it be the length of the weapon or just the move they make, it just kind of evens out. So your nimbleness and your aggressive roll dodge really don't mean or amount to anything because of the simple fact that the enemy is able to close the gap 
anytime they pretty much want. Um, I, I will say uh, that I think that once you kind of get used to that and kind of understand the the gameplay and kind of get it out of your head that just because the roll dodge is that aggressive that you're not going to be able to 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 um to dodge everything um it does a lot of what uh bloodborne did and also what liza p did you do get to i'm playing a strength build character but i block with my sword you do gain damage from block but it does have that repose system where you have a little bit of health left if you hit the if you hit the enemy back mm. you're able to regain that health so they have that for sure uh there are many traditional classes in the game here more traditional than and i'm gonna keep mentioning Liza p because it's the most it's the thing that you can re- to compare to the most it's the most recent game and also it's a souls like not made right from yeah, software mm-hmm. yeah so it has a lot of traditional classes which you would expect strength build dex build uh magic builds the latter half actually have magic spells or anything like that they're not relegated to um to like uh how do you call it to to items or anything like that um I think uh, I I my strength build is pretty much I, I would say the easy mode. Uh, you you can really uh, devastate most of your enemies with just one or two moves. I think that the way that they've actually have built each of these characters are over eight, eight or nine characters to start the game or builds to start the game. They do a really good job with the way they've they've made them because even though I can really devastate an enemy, my life starts really low so i have to be very careful and can't be too aggressive because at that point what happens is simple is i die fairly quickly because of the fact that i am strong but i am also weak in the overall as well so when it comes to that gameplay aspect of it i think that it, it it's a really good balance there in the way they do it uh the umbral uh plane is something that they've talked about and i, and I'll, I'll kind of cover it real quickly basically they've built the map in two so they have the regular map which is the the, the real life uh, if you will and then there's the umbral plane which is kind of like the death plane uh you're able to switch back and forth from those uh going into the into the umbral plane basically just relegated to opening paths that might be closed in the real world and there's some things story-wise story things that happen in the umbra world that inform the main story so there's a lot of that going on sounds like the medium (laughs) yeah it really is exactly like the medium uh except it it's 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 it seems like this big uh gimmick because of the fact that you can switch anywhere and the map is uh it's rendered twice but it really it really so far it amounts to much of nothing just kind of okay oh this is closed off there's nowhere else for me to go okay umbral plane going through all right there i am so it's kind of it's it's a really good idea implemented in the most basic form so it doesn't really like it's not all that great in any way um but ultimately for me uh this game it it, kind of always takes takes one step forward and two steps back consistently in the gameplay aspect of it uh i am fairly early on i am going to keep playing it because it it is still that souls like it's still hitting uh everything that i like about a souls game uh but uh it, it it just it you do feel the the fact that okay this is more in line with souls likes from the past where they almost have that formula right but ultimately they don't really uh nail it in the way that that they should uh visually real quick i'll go over that because i know that it's an unreal engine 5 game i look i'm gonna be honest with you marco maybe you could jump in here when it comes to unreal 5 i've yet to see a game that has wowed me on unreal 5 i know people talk about all the the the, the illumination stuff and all the all the bells and whistles of unreal 5 this game looks good 
but does it is it blowing my mind not really uh a game a game like um immortals of avium and also an unreal 5 game it's another game that had really interesting things visually but it didn't blow me away you know uh, the performance is 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 pretty good in, in lords of the fallen playing 60 frames which is the performance mode at 1080p upscaled from 1080p that that thing that they do yep, yep. um it's not a steady 60 frames. There is some, uh, uh, there is um, screen tear, and there's some times where the game actually dips a little bit. It's not, it doesn't ruin the experience. It is a Souls-like, and that's important to have a, a steady frame. It is mostly, it is mostly steady. The the lowest, I, I, I'm not really good in terms of sensitive of, of kind of nailing as to how low it went, but it can't go lower than 50 in terms of, because it doesn't really affect the gameplay too much. I will say though, when it cuts the cutscenes, which are very far and few between, but they do often, those are a complete mess. There are there are things happening in the cutscenes that are like the stutter effects that are happening. The enemy moves and, and something happens and there's, there's a huge screen tear and then it comes back into place. It is not it is not optimized well. I think it's because it's going from sixty to thirty when it goes into those cutscenes and that transition. I don't think there's VRR, so that transition is it is jarring and it is not mm. a good look for the game at, at all. But yeah, I mean, sure, the game looks good sometimes, but it's not blowing me away in any shape or form. Uh, to kind of close out kind of where I'm at with the game, I think Lords of the Fallen does a lot of good things. Uh, it complements the Souls-like formula in a lot of ways. It, it it also is a good copy of the Dark Souls, uh, Dark Souls formula. But it doesn't bring anything new to the table. Again, Styles of P did bring the the, the weapon assembly. Uh, it also brought the P uh, organ thing, an, an additional kind of branching uh, tree for your for your character. There's none of that here. It's pretty much <clears throat> sorry. It's pretty much straightforward as it is. And then what happens is I kind of push back on the things like this is just more of Dark Souls because that's exactly what they were trying to do. But ultimately, for me, at the end of the day, it just it, it, it does feel a little mundane in its approach to what it's trying to do. And I think that, you know, I, I it's a game that I would I, I'm going to continue playing a game that if you are a hardcore Dark Souls fan, you should probably try eventually not at that $70 price point. Uh, but it's it's a decent experience. It's not the disaster that a lot a lot of people may say it is uh, even on like the consoles like PS5. I know the Xbox Series X has had some issues, um, but the PlayStation 5 where I'm playing on it is OK. It, it's playing decently well. And overall, it is like. The, the, I think on Metacritic, Open Crit, it's like 71, 73 or something like that. It, it had gone up recently. I think that's exactly where this game would land within that, uh, within like crit critically. And also, I would agree that's how I feel about the game as well. Yeah, I think right now it's at a 75 as of our recording here. So, yeah, um, that's pretty much what I would, where I would put it at. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things. And that first of all, that was a great breakdown. Second of all, you said Styles of P instead of Lies of P at one point. That's a rapper. Um, <laughs> number three, um, I, uh, I, I think, you know, you, you touched on unreal engine five and I think that, um, you know, there, there were rumblings, I think maybe about a year and a half ago or so that, um, developers were having a little bit of a challenge with being able to get the most juice out of that engine while keeping their games stable and I yeah. could be that I could be misquoting or misrepresenting that, but I, nevertheless, I heard there were a lot of challenges with that engine um, at, at one point, and I don't know if that plays a role in in the way that this game has um, turned out in terms of its optimization. But it would certainly give some credence to that. But uh, it, it seems more to me like this is um, maybe a bit more of a development problem internally 
um, from even just the concept of making the souls like it in and of itself um, and not really number one, mastering that or getting it in a good place. And then number two, doing unique things that are truly interesting. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I applaud the effort. It seems like they put a lot of manpower behind this game as well. Um, but I think the project for me as an outsider in this whole thing just always seemed weird from the start. Um, it's like a reboot of a game that no one really talked about all that much. Um, no. was never really, a, it was a non-starter back then. So why, what, what was the, what was the reasoning I, for running it back now? Well, I, well, the story of the, of the, of this was like, they were going to make a sequel just because of the fact that they're still trying to bank on the souls like formula. And, mm-hmm. uh, after they made theirs, I think Neo came out and the, the, the souls like genre blew up. And so I get, I think they wanted to take advantage again. Uh, uh, the issue is is that the game was supposed to be this big open world game, even pre-Elden Ring type of thing, and then it, they paired it back aggressively to, that it was going to be really linear, and then as development went on, they went ahead and blew it up again, and now it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, the, a lot of the levels are massive. Uh, there's no loading at all in the game, so all the places that you go to, it never loads. You literally can go from each of those places. They are gated by bosses, but if you pass that, there's never loading. So that is impressive. I will say based on the Unreal 5 thing, besides EA and what they did with, uh, with Avium, uh, Immortals of Avium, there really hasn't been, to my knowledge, and maybe I'm misremembering, there really hasn't been a triple A well-regarded studio to release a Unreal 5 game that is all with all its bells and bells and whistles. I, I know like, like Hexworks, which made this Lords of the Fallen. I know uh, that uh, the Illuminations that made um, that one, uh, the game from earlier this year uh, with the talking bracelet. Forspoken? Yeah, Forspoken. <laughs> I know the Illumination did that with Unreal 5, but I don't know if there's been like a big triple a uh studio well renowned for making games that's touched uh unreal 5 yet in terms of releasing a game so i don't know if it's more or less the the people working on it not that they're not talented because they, they they lords of the fallen is an accomplishment in its own right sure but like in terms of like having the the best of the best working on an unreal 5 on a triple a game i don't think we've seen that yet so i think that's that's part of the problem as well. But so far, I mean, there's just been a lot of a lot of talk about Unreal 5 being this incredible tool and asset, and I just haven't seen that yet. It's still early, obviously. A lot of these Unreal Engine games, a lot of people come in and they put their own to, uh, on tool system into it to upgrade, upgrade it in their own way. So we're still waiting on that, I guess. It's kind of what's happening here. Yeah, it looks like uh, the only note, like it was only a handful of games that I think are notable that are coming out soon that use unreal engine 5 i think that's hellblade 2 uh stalker 2 and state of the k3 weirdly enough okay um so all xbox yeah uh witcher remake is also in the list um that would be kind of cool if they move away from whatever the hell engine they've been using that's kind of showing its age to, to that would be interesting but then again you know cd project red with a new engine who the hell knows what's gonna happen with that Ooh. project so i don't that's know that's another thing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how people assimilate to that engine. And I know we're getting into like you know the weeds with engine talk, and that's not like the sexy thing to talk about on a podcast. But this is what happens under the hood when you play your games, and this is the reason why games either look and run great or they look and run like crap. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how these uh, studios utilize this engine, or maybe maybe skip past it and stay with their own uh, proprietary ones. But um, you know, I uh, I think that you know overall. Uh, disappointing uh, that it didn't really this game didn't really do it in a like big way but I'm glad that it's at least decent uh, to say the least yeah yeah so it's a it's definitely a game that I'll be playing all week until Mm -hmm. you know until Friday where we got the big games coming yep Uh, so but I'm not I'm not I'm not completely disappointed with it. Um, uh, leading up to it, I was kind of like, "Oh man, like the reviews aren't great. People really talk a lot of shit about it." But the people that I respect, like like a, a YouTuber called Fighting Cowboy, um, and uh, what's the other one? I can't. I never say their name right. Fexa Life. Fextra. Fexa. Fextra. Yeah, they they're really high on it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, I like when it comes to Souls games. Those are the two kind of people or, or or channels that i gravitate to to kind of really tell me what's up uh and i and i you know i trusted their kind of their insight on it and, and went ahead and pulled the trigger on it and I'm, I'm not disappointed that i did honestly cool all right yeah. man well let's go ahead and move on uh i'll tag in real quick uh i have been playing call of duty modern warfare 3's open beta uh which is not okay. to be concerned with call of not to be concerned with call of duty modern warfare 3 um the the this is like a weird one because like oh so jacked they're so jacked it's up. like modern warfare 3 but it's based on modern warfare 2 story so it's just not concerned with like being modern warfare 3 it's like going back in 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 reverse a little bit and that and that holds true with the single player and the multiplayer um the the multiplayer is it's very much trying to tap into nostalgia um with bringing over a lot of Modern Warfare 2 maps that you remember from back in the day if you were a big MW2 fan. Um, I think that alone is going to bring in a pretty large audience, which Call of Duty always does, but in particular this time around because it's not like an add-on or a battle pass thing. It's coming out of the box with a lot of these maps. Um, So I think if that excites you, you're going to be very interested in playing the full release when it comes out. Um, but I've dedicated, you know, maybe about two hours of time with the beta. Um, I, I really try Normally I'm not a beta person, but I tried it mainly because I don't have a lot of like excitement for the next call of duty, you know, yeah, games same. that are coming out. So mm-hmm. I figured why not? I got some time to burn. Um, and it's kind of what I expected, you know, it, it's, uh, it's fine. It's the multiplayer is, is solid. It's, it's the call of duty that you remember. Uh, so for those of you out there who maybe you have a love hate relationship with call of duty, uh, I don't think this game is going to necessarily move the needle for you unless again, you're a big MW2 fan from back in the day and you want that kind of throwback stuff. Um, the gameplay feels good though. I mean, you know, the maps that they brought back are, they, they all fit pretty well with the, the refinements to the gameplay. Um, but in terms of multiplayer ebb and flow, uh, nothing's really too different. Um, they did introduce a new mode, which I, I've actually kind of enjoyed. It's called Cutthroat, and it's basically three teams of three. 
uh, and it's a round-based uh, mode where um, it's elimination, basically. Uh, but, you know, okay. it's just it's three different teams, which kind of makes things a little bit more dynamic. Um, and I, I, I like the pacing for that better for me, since I'm not like the Call of Duty Twitch player that much these days. Occasionally, we'll, you know, I'll get obsessed with one every now and again, like we did a couple years ago with Cold War. Um, oh, yeah. But this one, um, you know, I think it. I can best describe it as fine. I don't think there's anything that I played that's offensively bad um, in terms of gameplay. The maps all feel fine and to, fine to good. Um, uh, and I think that the little things they've done uh, for quality of life stuff is is okay too. Um, I think I think the thing that's going to make a lot of like hardcore Call of Duty fans most excited is actually they they have this thing now where if you get killed or you kill somebody, it'll tell you how many bullets it took to kill that person. So oh. you're not like, it kind of, it, it kind of mitigates a lot of that, man, I pumped a whole round into that guy and they die. You know, this gives you a little bit like of a, no, you, this is what you got. Um, so I think it's kind of cool for that sort of. I can't help but to think that's exactly why they did that. The devs were like, "Shut up, you fucking yeah, liar." Yeah, I mean, I I I like it because I like kind of I like having the receipt, you know, of like, okay, this is what it took to put that person down. It also probably helps with deciding what kind of gun you want to get. Like that's what I was going to say. Like matching the the entire yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So I think if 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 you're really going to nerd out on stats and things like that, um, that might do a little something for you. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to put you on the spot because I, I, you know, I don't know if, if you're too like, uh, in the know of how these things work because I'm not. The, the loadout situation is is that about the same uh, in terms of like, uh, I know a lot of people were complaining about uh, the older games or the previous game where it's like I want to I want to max this gun out, but in order for me to get a scope, I now have to sh- kill two hundred people with an LMG to get the scope for oh, this one gun. Yeah, it's like. Like, I, I don't. I didn't they, mess with that yet. Forcing you to play those games. Okay. I didn't mess with that yet. I was using like the, I the pre. That. I was using the pre-designated ones until that unlocked, and I I haven't gone in and tested that out yet, uh, so I, I can't speak to that for sure. But I, I I definitely understand those criticisms. I I would be surprised if they change that, but I I don't know for sure. I can't speak about it out either way. I don't. I, I don't understand. It's like the devs forcing you to play all their guns, and it's like I don't. I'm not an MLG. I'm not a. I'm not a light machine gun guy. Like don't make me use a light machine gun mm-hmm. or vice versa. Don't make me use an assault rifle if I'm a light machine gun or, or a sniper rifle or something like that. It just seems a little bit kind of like them forcing you to play the way they want you to play. And that's not the way Call of Duty works. You know, that's not how, yeah. that's not why we play. Yeah. I mean, overall it's enjoyable. One thing that I will, I will knock it for is, um, and I, I said something similar last week about Assassin's Creed. Um, I think Call of Duty starting to look a little dated now. Uh, visually, I think it's starting to look a little bit behind um, in terms of fidelity and clarity. Um, and I think that this is kind of going to be an interesting uh, point for them because, you know, what are they going to do, if anything, to kind of bring the visuals and presentation up to speed? Uh, and, and it's 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 obviously a little skewed for multiplayer because they have like the 120 frames mode, so they can't go too crazy. But I, I think even with like the sharpening settings that they have on the back end, it things still look really hazy and, and um, washed out looking and just not not too visually appealing. Uh, and I, I so I, I do think at some point relatively soon um, there Activision is going to have to make a decision on kind of when and how to give Call of Duty a visual facelift. 
Um, because, you know, yeah, it looks good in like the single player cinematics and they have the set pieces with the explosions and stuff. So they still have that kind of like stimuli and eye candy to give you. But I think when you really look at textures and, and overall, you know, visual clarity, it, there's something lacking here. Um, that I, I don't think it's just a beta problem. I think it, it looks almost identical to Modern Warfare 2. Um, so take that or leave it, depending on how much of a graphics whore you guys might be out there. But it is something that you might notice. That's like, oh, this kind of looks a little little ass right yeah, now. Yeah, so. and it's hard for them. And I would, I would think it's hard for them to, to upgrade visually uh, and the fact that they're it's a yearly release. Yeah. Every year they release. And so, yeah. like, I know that different teams develop the, the, the games. But, like, you know, the next game that's coming out next year has been in development for two and a half years already. You know, right. so it's kind of like... When are they? We'll see an upgrade, I'm sure, eventually. But like, it's it's not gonna be. It's gonna be like the opposite of Death Death by a Thousand Cuts, where it's like it gets a little bit increased. It gets a little better every year. Mm-hmm. But by the time you play that game next year, there are games that are way better looking than it already. So it's yeah, it's it's they're in a tough position for well for for sure. And I, I also think, if I'm not mistaken, it's still cross gen as well. So uh, I think oh, you also yeah, have that going too. on. That's yeah. that's still kind of the barrier. Um, so whenever they maybe, you know, disembark from, from old consoles, maybe then that unlocks yeah. some new opportunities. But but they did sign that 10-year deal with Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that kicks in with the ne- with next console or something. I don't know, but yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm hoping something gives because, you know, it again, is, is it, it's not going to make you cringe when you look at it, but it's, you are going to look at it and go, eh, it's kind of, yeah, well, it's I mean, all right. Because I think best case scenario is like the new Switch is equivalent to the xbox one x or the playstation 4 pro at that point it's kind of the same thing between cross-gen if they in fact are going to release yeah, a yearly yeah yeah unless they, they unless they do something completely different for the, the switch where it's like multiplayer only or something like that where we'll mm-hmm. see all right well let me tag it back to you man uh talk about what else you got on your list here yeah, so kind of final thoughts on Assassin's Creed Mirage. Uh, you know, I think last week I was I was uh, not I was down on it, but not to the point where I thought the game was bad. I just thought the game itself was was okay, was decent, had some problems. I think a lot of those problems are still there. Uh, I think a lot of my complaints from last week are are pretty much unchanged. However, I will say that I've 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 leaned a little more positive towards the game. I think the more I've played it, uh, the more stuff I've unlocked. The, the, it's become way more fun to actually. Uh, engage in not combat but engage in situations where I can uh, sneak around and, and assassinate people I think uh, the, a lot of the assassination missions uh, they've grown and ha- and are really interesting uh, the story is still kind of booty juice uh, but overall I think that the the advancements of like your upgrades and kind of like design in the mission structure towards the back end of the game are really good to the point where I'm really enjoying my time with Assassin's Creed Mirage and I, I still don't think it'll crack my top 10, though I wouldn't be shocked if it made like number 10. But it's such a huge year. I, I very much doubt that would be the case. But I, I just wanted to kind of come on here and, and kind of give it its flowers a little. Because I, I know that if you go online, obviously, you got both camps calling it the best Assassin's Creed of all time. And then other people claim it's the worst of all time. I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Um, I, I, I don't think it's better than any of the old ones. I don't think it's better than Origins. But it definitely does what it, it's built to 
to do and i think that you see the advancements of the of the of the new ideas and, and that they've implemented into the game too late into the game for you to really appreciate it for those people who bounce off of it early though i think if you did bounce off of it i don't think you're going to really gain anything by going back to it and playing it more just because if it didn't it didn't hit it, it's just more of that just slightly better so um ultimately for me i think that mirage is is, is a it's a cool idea that they executed on to to the best of their ability, I guess, it being a DLC and transforming that into a, a standalone game. Uh, I would like to see more of this, but, you know, like I said last week, with more fla- with more 2023 and beyond uh, uh, additions, you know, make it more newer. You don't have to, you don't have to get the old formula and be so true to that to the point where um, it feels a little kind of dated to play. Combat yeah. is still, one on one combat is still horrible. Okay. atrocious the, the more the more you the more power you gain the worse the game is because the, the one thing i didn't mention last week and i'll mention real quickly when you hit somebody with a sword they zero reaction they no sell that shit it, it's a it's like it doesn't feel like any impact at all in and when you when you actually damage uh them out so it, that's still really bad no good uh but other than that uh I'm 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 enjoying it more than I did last week for sure. I'm wrapping it up today or tomorrow because I'm in the final mission. Can't wait for that. Marco, what do you got? Yeah, um, I actually forgot to add something to our docket. So uh, real quick, I'm playing. Uh, oh. I, I am yeah. I am playing Halo Infinite. Um, some people probably got a little nauseous when I said that out there, but um, you shouldn't <laughs> actually because you know I I uh, you know infamously kind of roasted the boots off of halo infinite for for many money months and and you certainly had your share of of negative sentiments um about how the game was handled um but you know for a time we did enjoy the multiplayer uh the, the core multiplayer of of the experience and you know after a couple years of of patches and new seasonal content adding new modes some match types adding forge into the mix um Halo Infinite has actually made a pretty interesting turnaround in terms of overall quality and content. Um, and I've found myself uh, investing a decent amount of time into this game. Um, I'm, by no means am I no-lifing it. Uh, that's been predominantly the next game that we'll be talking about. But I, um, I have, I've put in some decent time into this, and I've found a lot of enjoyment from it. Um, I, I think... If, if you've played Halo Infinite around launch time and you've been gone for a while, I think the, the, the biggest key things uh, to keep in mind is that, uh, for starters, a lot more maps, mm-hmm. a lot more modes and match types. And I think that was a huge pain point for many people that were kind of just sick of cycling through the same seven or eight maps. Uh, Forge had a lot to do with that in terms of not only creating um you know large scale new maps but also creating or or in this case recreating old maps from previous halos um so if you go into certain modes now um particularly squad battle which is an 8v8 uh kind of it's not big team battle but it's like diet big team battle which is it's almost like the perfect balance where it's like it's not absolute chaos it's like more controlled and more manageable um but it's it's it still feels cool and bombastic and a little bit more open-ended. Um, you'll see a lot of those new maps there in particular. Uh, and then you have you know modes like Infection and so on that have come back into the mix. So, But the playlists are much, much improved, as are the maps as well. And then, of course, the um, there's a new XP system now, a new 
career progression system. Uh, and obviously, a uh, couple seasons in now, we've got some seasonal content that you can go catch back up on if you want to, because Halo Infinite lets you go back to old seasons and buy those battle passes if you want to. So, uh, and underrated feature. Yeah, very much so. I wish a lot of other companies would 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 take that note. Um, but also, season five is actually coming out uh, on the seventeenth of this month. So I'm kind of enjoying the last little wave of season four stuff before season five drops, which is going to add another new mode into the mix, more new maps, and a four JI mode, which people are actually kind of uh, pretty excited about, which is kind of helping auto build maps based on, um, you know, custom modes and match types people want to play. That's super uh, and, dope. If, and if that is successful, then that can potentially bloat, in a good way, the amount of yeah. quality maps that are available in Halo Infinite, because it's going to take a lot of the, like, the granular, you know... You have to be a really hardcore to make a map in Halo. Let's be real, right? But if you have, Yo, if you have sure. an AI that can help you kind of make what you want in an easy streamlined way that can potentially pay off in dividends for them in terms of content, um, without, you know, saddling, um, three, four, three with the actual labor of making them. Right. So in a way you're kind of turning the, the, the fans into the developer for you. Um, and you get to kind of add those into playlists of your own. So it's a really interesting wrinkle that I think could make halo infinite as a product really interesting in the next year or so. Um, so I would say, Hey, it's interesting to check out if you want to. Yeah, which was the dream. I think that was kind of the reason why Forge is being pushed so hard is because they wanted a lot of uh, community content and, and they wanted to implement that within the game. That was part of the whole 10-year plan as well. So yeah. maybe it's still not a 10-year plan, but the fact that they have these things, these building blocks from the very beginning and they're kind of executing on them is promising. You know, that, that's that's a very good thing. Yeah. I did download Halo um, a couple of days ago. Uh, I had not played it, but I, I downloaded it as well. So I, I'm kind of looking forward to see what the buzz is about f- uh, Season 5. If, it, if it's positive enough, I might jump in. I've been itching to mm-hmm. to get back to a multiplayer, and I'm not quite I'm not quite ready to go back to Rainbow Six yet. So yeah. I, I kind of want yeah. to try Halo. Yeah, Squad Battle is where it's at uh, with Halo right now. It's it's like the perfect Squad sandbox battle. balance of it's 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 good. It's got the vehicles. It's got all that stuff, and it's also it gives you a lot of one V one action too, just like you would have in like the regular team slayer playlist. So I've been enjoying the hell out of it. I, I, I just play in moderation though, because I don't want to get, I don't want to get frustrated with halo again. And I'm not saying there's anything that's still in there that frustrates me. The game feels very good. It's just that, you know, there's that old stigma that I'm trying to kick from like when it first launched and I don't want to come back to that. Like, you know, if I play too long and start seeing more of the wrinkles again. So I'm just, you know, a couple matches and I'm out and I'm playing something do else. You, do you know if they have SWAT? Is SWAT back? Yeah. That, yeah, that SWAT. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love SWAT's SWAT. in the house, That's man. my shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. Halo Infinite. It's uh, it's it's making a pretty so- and people are playing it. It's got you know yeah. no problem getting in the lobbies. There's no, it's not barren. It's not dead. It's it's very much alive and well, man. So I, I think the the misconception with Halo Infinite from the start was like it was supposed to be Fortnite levels massive, right? It was supposed to be so at least from what people were kind of talking it up. The thing is that people fail to, to to realize is that Halo is a huge IP that many people still play. And maybe it's not necessarily uh, like playing, uh, like it's not at the levels of a Fortnite in terms of how many people are playing it online, but it's still successful. It's still, people are still playing that game. Yeah. Yeah. That, that whole idea of, oh, no one's playing Halo Infinite. That's not true at all. Yeah. yeah. So. 
recommend that if you're a Halo fan. Um, and of course, last but not least, um, Forza Motorsport. Uh, both you and me have been playing a lot more of that. I mean, I'm next to no lifing it at this point, with the exception of Halo right now. Um, yeah. And and that's that's pretty rare for me, is even as somebody with a you know a palette for for sim racing games. I just can't put this thing down. Um, I've been dabbling in a lot more career stuff, and um, I've actually been I've been buying cars that um, that my mom actually used to drive. Um, uh, so I already know she's got. Uh, she used to have uh, the old Firebird from I think ninety seven or ninety eight. Uh, the, the black yeah. Pontiac Firebird. She had that. She had a three thousand GT, but it's called a GTO in the game. So I bought that too. And I've just been doing little custom races just with her old cars that she. And, I, and yes, I said my mom. By the way, not my dad. My mom was the car junkie. Uh, in, yeah, in the right. household. So, and my dad got the bullshit. <laughs> but um. It's been fun. It's been a fun little nostalgia trip on that level of like, oh, my mom used to drive this. I remember what this interior looks like, you know? Um, and then on top of that, just enjoying the races and enjoying the the handling of the game. I still can't get over how good the game feels in my hands with the controller. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, again, I, I know people have kind of, you know, been contesting that GT7 is, is a better looking game in every way, shape and form. And I, I stand by what I said last week. I still think that with the exception of car design being in GT's favor, I think everything else to me looks way nicer in, uh, in Forza. So I've really been enjoying uh, the sights and sounds of the game as well. The night racing is dope as hell. I still I'm, I'm not bored of it yet. Um, and, uh, that's going to be on our anything goes category for sure, uh, for our end yeah. of year awards, but yeah, having a great time with it, man. Having a lot of fun. How about you? Yeah, same. I'm not doing custom races. I've done a few custom races, like, especially with the F1 cars, like those formula cars and how, cause I've seen people play those, uh, on some videos. I'm like, yo, those cars move so quick and they turn on like on a, on a dime. So I, I, I did a few of those and that was really fun. Uh, but really what I've been playing is just kind of the, the builder's cup kind of going through that as, as, as much as I possibly can. And, and that way, what I've been doing is I've been trying to get to the GDM one. Cause I used to own the AE 1986, A86, which is kind of like, uh, the Toyota Corolla. Uh, which like all about drifting and all that stuff so I unlocked that to get through that because that's kind of where I wanted to, to, to play and I thought that once I got through that'd be it for me but nah I'm, I'm still itching to go back it's kind of it's the game that I start my, my gaming day with I'll, I'll do a race or two on it and then it's like a palate cleanser or the end of the night game before I go to bed I'll, I'll do another race into it it, it I'm, I'm definitely uh, I wouldn't say I'm obsessed with it because I'm not no lifing it but I am definitely a game that's on my rotation constantly it's kind of taking weirdly enough taking the place of of like a uh, of a Rainbow Six for me where I you know it's a game I start my gaming day with or yeah. something like that it, where I'm kind of just dabbling in it doing a race or two doing a, a, a you know a cup or two here or there for, throughout the day uh, and it's it's actually it's it's so good man I, I not in a million years that I think that this was a game that not only was I going to enjoy because I knew that was going to be like oh so cool so nice to look at but a game that I'm actually really like not only playing it every day but also kind of into it and like I was doing like auto tuning or auto and but I'm, I'm I'm doing that still but also going into the tuning and kind of because I know how I like to drive the cars in the game and so I'm kind of catering those cars to my liking a lot more than I thought I ever uh, I would uh but yeah man great game another another win another for win from Xbox having a banner year for sure yeah, man. Um, it's it's been pretty dope to just kind of play this game as someone who you know yeah, has a somewhat decent interest in these types of games, and to not only have fun with it, but to actually learn a little bit along the way. Kind of like you know you with you know 
knowing what you want to kind of do with with your build of your car and and for me I think the big key has been getting like feedback through the game on how well I'm doing in races yeah. and like they have those segment scores. That yeah. to me is one of my favorite features in the game. Uh, and I'm kind of surprised there hasn't been something like that in, in other sim racing games um, to tell you like how good did I do with that portion of the track? Um, you know, and this gives you a numerical score from one to 10. And, you know, if you suck, it tells you. If you're great, it tells you. And it's like, oh, okay. Now I know next time maybe I can hit that turn a little bit different and, you know, do this. With... I'm even remembering the names of some of those turns now. So, like, I'm getting used to the tracks, too. So it's like Turn it, nine. Well, like, they have names, too. Like, one of them's called, yeah. Um, yeah, I forgot what now. Now, of course, while I'm recording, I forget the name of it. But I, rem- I remember, I promise. Uh, I remember. <laughs> um, I forgot what I'm remembering though, but uh, yeah, no, I think it's been great, man. Uh, and it, it's uh, to me, it's it's kind of making some moves on my top ten list this year, uh, which is kind of surprising. So it'll be interesting to see where it lands once this next uh, couple of weeks pass, and we see where the Alan Wakes and the Spider Mans land. But uh, man, yeah, Forts is making Mario some noise, Wonders. man. Yeah, uh, we yeah. maybe for you. I, I, ain't, I ain't gonna be on my damn top ten. No damn Mario. I don't know. Fuck a Mario. Daughters might watch that commercial and don't be like, bring why my, we play Don't bring the children. Why are we not playing don't bring Why do you love me, Dad? Why don't I, you love me? I love her enough to not make her watch commercials. That's what I do. <laughs> All right? I don't know. Ads are everywhere, man. Not in my household. Not in my America. <laughs> All right. We got to move on, man. Let's get to the news segment that we call Hit Points. Let's do it. For breaking news, rumors, and booty juice, it's time for Hit Points. All right, Pablo. You know what we got to talk about, so why don't you go ahead and kick oh, yeah. us off. Let's do it. Well, Marco, it's finally official. Microsoft has finalized its massive $68.7 billion deal to acquire Activision Blizzard. Phil Spencer, uh, what's the, I can't say his first name. Satya? Is it Satya, Satya Nadella? Yeah. yeah, Satya Nadella. Sarah Bond and others of Microsoft executives chimed in on, on X uh, to celebrate the deal after 20 fucking grueling months battling the Sony, the FTCs of the world, the CMAs and 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 the internet <laughs> fighting everybody off in the internet with a stick. Uh, now that the deal is done, I want to talk about it. Before I get into kind of these uh, questions and, and these levels in terms I want to cover, uh, what is your, what was your immediate reaction to, to this finally happening, uh, it becoming official? Marco, what do you think? It's interesting because, you know, you kind of mentioned it there. We, we've had 20 months to kind of internalize the possibility this is going to happen. And you, you always do your best to kind of process that, okay, this might be real. This might be a thing. This might go through. But there's something to be said for when you see a tweet from Microsoft with <laughs> with the you know they always have like the images broken down of every like iconic character from their catalog and you're seeing Call of Duty next to Master Chief and Overwatch is there you're like damn and that trailer was fire in the trailer that was so you know I, I it's been very hotly debated um, in in various circles this is bad for gaming this is good for gaming um, I skew on the good side personally. Uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, look, if Activision wanted to be bought, I would rather them be bought by Xbox than they would by Tencent or uh, you know, a company that can't handle anything like a Embracer Group or Tencent, which is very clandestine and weird. You know, like I think the, the, the lesser of all the evils is 
fortunately where Activision Blizzard has gone, in my opinion. So I think there's also a sense of relief that comes from that. You know, it's like, okay, we got we got this company with, you know, Xbox, Phil Spencer is going to do his thing with this. And, you know, there's going to be changes. Um, you know, thankfully, one of them is that Bobby Kotick is out. Um, but I think overall, you know, it's it's a good day uh, to me for gaming because, again, uh, the alternatives, the what ifs of this could have been way worse than what this is here. So I'm personally happy about it. And we'll talk more about positives and negatives in a bit. But what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm positive on it. I think when you look at kind of when you take the big boys out of the of the equation, the Call of Duties and, and maybe Diablo, maybe Overwatch. I mean, there's a lot of IP that Activision was just sort of sitting on, you know, and so they weren't doing much with it. And I don't know if they stayed independent uh, in the way that they were, that those IPs would have ever seen the light of day. I'm confident that now that basically Xbox has a treasure trove of all these IP that they'll be able to revive some from the dead. You know, I'm I'm not a fan of Spyro by any by any by any means but you know they now have the ability to make these games for a different audience you know and they have like guitar hero which they've talked about bringing back or at least bobby Kotick did and and these little these little ips that could could bolster the portfolio could diversify the xbox portfolio beyond what people have always talked about oh it's all about halo it's all about gears and so now they have that and obviously call of duty's on there but they've been very open about what they're planning to do with call of duty at least for the next 10 years so i mean that kind of stuff isn't really going to change too much uh, on the uh, so i'm not really too worried about that um and honestly at the end of the day like marco i agree with you man i mean if they wanted to be bought if that's something that they wanted to to do to do i'm glad that it's xbox because they're backed up by Microsoft and Microsoft is one of the richest American companies in the world and so the fact that they're able to to even afford this they're not going to let they're not going to squander this they're they're, going to get all this IP from Blizzard and King themselves and and just be able to kind of diversify and I think that's my main point here is they'll be able to grow in more ways than they were able to uh, before this uh, purchase and so they've they've advanced their ways onto um, onto the gaming scene by a couple of years now so they they definitely now have a wide range of things that they can pick from from their portfolio which I I'm I'm happy to see I hope that we do see a lot more than just what we've been seeing. I think Blizzard is probably going to be the one that's going to change the most. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm interested to see how they deal with Diablo Four going forward, and especially Overwatch Two, and what what changes they make or no changes at all. We'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm confident that they need those, they need those IPs to work for them, and I think that they'll do their very best to fix them because they are in need of fixing, uh, regardless of what people may say. Yeah, but yeah, that's where I'm at. But yeah, Marco, let, let's go ahead and move into to, to some other points here within this overall conversation. Uh, let's talk about the acquisition on three levels. I'm going to kind of uh, go through the first one here, and then I want you to chime in yeah. here for us. Uh, what are the net positives of the acquisition for Xbox? Well, it's interesting because one of the net positives, I think, involves a big misconception about what this deal was really meant for for Xbox. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think a lot of people uh, have have gotten used to thinking this is all about Call of Duty, uh, right. and it's really not. Uh, no. the, the The biggest net positive for Xbox is the mobile gaming space, by far. Yep, by far. Uh, whether it's the Candy Crushes of the world or the Call of Duty mobiles of the world, um, this gives Xbox and obviously Microsoft as a whole 
um, huge inroads into the mobile space, which is where they know they really, really need to compete. Um, so it's not the sexiest thing to talk about in terms of positives, but that really is the biggest deal for them right now is getting in that space, owning as much of the piece of the pie that they can in that space. And then of course, expanding, um, using their resources within Microsoft, right. To help bolster that, that initiative. Uh, because we all know that that's one thing that Sony's had their eye on as well. And, you know, this, this deal kind of gives, Microsoft the leg up in that space against them. Uh, and when you think about what Apple is doing on their end of the spectrum, getting, you know, essentially hardcore games on mobile devices with ray tracing and the like, um, you know, having Microsoft be a player in that uh, to some capacity uh, only bodes well for them as a business. Um, and of course, yeah, the obvious is there too. Yeah. Call of Duty is a big part of this as well. Um, having, you know, control of that and what that means for them as a source of revenue uh, slash money printer uh, goes without saying, you know, between Warzone and basically annual Call of Duty releases, this this gives Microsoft a lot of, of cushion and a lot of profitability uh, to, you know, kind of accelerate their vision for Xbox even further. Um, and then also the third thing is is IP, right? Beyond just Call of Duty. Um, whether or not they dig a lot of these old franchises out of the dirt and bring them back, or whether it's as simple as bringing a lot of old classic games to Game Pass, um, the fact that they have um, basically control over so many uh, either fan-favorite franchises or mainstream franchises, again, mm -hmm. gives them a lot of, of leverage and options when it comes to what they do with their studios moving forward. Uh, now there's a bit more flexibility in terms of not always having to come up with an original IP. Um, you can go bring something back and reboot it and, you know, get some traction, you know, that way if you, if you want to, if you're Microsoft. Um, so again, I think it's giving, it's all about giving Microsoft inroads with mobile and um, stability with call of duty and choice with their IP. Um, yeah. What about you? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think th specifically with the latter half, I think that you're right on on, on your um, what you were saying there. But for me, I think it's that uh, sorry that hey, we're all uh, hey, man, we're fumbling out here today. All right, ladies yeah, and gentlemen, don't judge us right now. We've had don't judge. We've us, had yeah. we've had we've had a time. Okay, we've so. had a time. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, but I think it's a diversification of that portfolio, like I mentioned in my uh, opening there. I, I think that now. Xbox has name recognition and IP that they can kind of more or less take, you know, bring back whenever they need to combat maybe a Sony IP. For example, you got something like King's Quest, which is something that has name recognition and they can reboot that into an XRPG that people would want to play, you know. So there's a lot of that stuff out there. Police Quest is out there, which I love. Uh, Pitfall. All these things are already, like Prototype, I love Prototype. Like, you know, I know it's not exactly Spider-Man, but, you know, you can do a Prototype and do something just as good as that and, and kind of combat Spider-Man of, of what uh, PlayStation has going on, and just a lot of cool stuff on there. I I, I just think that they have so many options, uh, so many things, so many things that 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 Activision had to let go because 
economical issues like Skylanders, things of that sort. You know, they don't have to always cater to the to, to, to adults. They can cater to the children, and they have the ability to do that now. Uh, I would love to see so many reboots and remakes of certain games, like Singularity. I love that game. Um, things like that. They just have so many options now. They really open themselves up to that, uh, and I and I think that that's that's something that they're going to take advantage of. I think as as time goes on, we're going to see. Maybe this is this is not. Maybe a lot of people are not going to look at this as positive, but I think we're going to see a lot of remakes uh, and maybe even some remasters here and there. Uh, I would I wouldn't I wouldn't think that's uh, as a negative, especially it's, it's specifically that's not the only thing that they do with these things. But I, I think it's just that that diversification, opening up literally their playbook and having a game for every situation, and I think that's uh, that's super dope. And I hope that they take advantage of that. You know, I hope I hope that that they don't. I hope that this doesn't turn out just to be. Call of Duty, Overwatch, you know, the, the the things that they've always had over and over again. I hope that they do more with what they have since they have more to do with. Yeah, totally agree with you there. All right, Marco. And then uh, the second part of it, what are some potential challenges of this acquisition for Xbox? Yeah, this is an interesting one, right? Because, you know, it, I think we all think about the benefits for Xbox. and But, you know, I think one of the big challenges that comes to mind for me is how do you manage all of this, right? Um, internal structure and um, hands-on leadership are very, very important pieces of the puzzle for a company like Xbox, especially when you look at their recent history with how some projects, particularly the Red Falls of the world, uh, fell by the wayside just because you know eyes weren't on them enough and, and decisions weren't made uh, in advance. So now that you are expanding your roster of studios and IP and uh, manpower, what do you do to kind of manage all of that if you're Phil Spencer? How do you sort of delegate command to people below you? And so I think a lot of the challenges to me are going to be structural uh, and organizational, um, especially with, you know, the changeover. Yeah, I mean, every, everybody and their mom wants Bobby Kotick out of there and he will be gone in a matter of months. But when that happens, yeah, he already he already said he's leaving. Yeah, Golden parachutes being handed out to him. He's leaving. But he's been there for 31 or 32 years, I think. So, you know, there's going to be there's going to be some changeover. There's going to be some growing pains. And I think that Microsoft is going to need to kind of shift gears now that this deal is done and focus immediately on how do we make this this merging of forces as seamless as possible um, to the point where we don't shoot ourselves in the foot like we have in the past. Yeah. So that's a big part of it. And I think the second challenge is something that I was going to mention as a net positive, but I think cloud is going to be a big challenge for them now. Uh, Cause some of the concessions they had to make, particularly with giving Ubisoft exclusive uh, rights to streaming some, st- you know, cloud stuff for them. I think those types of concessions are going to be interesting as far as how they're going to unfold over the next five, 10, 15 years when we see what cloud gaming ends up becoming. Um, if it starts to become the de facto way to game, then that puts a lot of weird power in Ubisoft's court, um, which I don't know how that's going to play out. Um, or it might be it might be a big nothing. Xbox just buys Ubisoft. Yeah, uh, yeah. FT. Listen, Lena Khan ain't having that. <laughs> she ain't having that. No, that tax dollars are going to be spent on that problem. But um, but yeah, I, I think I think cloud is going to be a, a a weird one for them moving forward because not only are they going to have to figure out 
what the ramifications are of that concession, but also what cloud gaming is going to uh, amount to in the future in the first place and, and how much of that they can actually capitalize on based on this concession, you know, that they've made. So it'd be interesting to see, but you know, I, I, I think that the, the, the good outweighs the bad here, but there is some, there is some things that I'm a little worried about for sure. Yeah. I, I think, uh, my challenges are right along with yours. I think that they've, for lack of a better term, they've acquired a lot of broken toys. Uh, Diablo is an interesting position. Overwatch is in an interesting position. When I mean interesting, I mean not good. Uh, you know, I think that Call of Duty is Call of Duty, but also Call of Duty has that challenge of every year they have to find a way to make it worthwhile, right? And I know that Warzone is a big money printer. Uh, so, I, you know, how much can they change uh, that formula? Um, and then and then a lot of what you said is, is, is right there with... Um, I'm right there with it. Like, okay, now you have the ability to have any of these IPs and, and make a game uh, in that IP, but are you going to manage that correctly? Are you going to give those games the 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 time they deserve to to to, to shine? Like, there's just so much now that they have at disposable. It's kind of like just having too much of a good thing, you know. So it, it's it's they have to not only that though, they have to also fix a culture in Activision Blizzard. You know, very well documented. There's a lot of issues there uh, internally. Uh, a lot of things happening. Uh, you know, that are actually really horrible things, you know, workplace toxicity, sexual harassment, a lot of things that, that have transpired with this uh, company. Now, the people working there are now looking to Xbox to fix them because that's that's kind of the promise. And so now they have the challenge on, on two fronts, on the gaming front and on the you know, straight up on the human resources front. Like they have a lot of things that they have to juggle now. Uh, so like one part of this is done. They, 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 they acquired the company. Now, now it's got a now it's go time to go in there and fix a lot of the issues in which that they have that they have listen Activision Blizzard wouldn't be selling if they were if everything was great you know if everything was peachy uh there are issues that they're having and I'm sure that Xbox are aware of but now it's time for them to fix it and not just keep status quo they have to actually elevate the Activision Blizzard now it's part of the they can't have the the they can't have the reputation that Activision Blizzard has stain microsoft uh xbox they have to now make that part of their uh make that part of their ethos make that make that company uh gel with what they do their vision and now they have to you know and, and that's not easy you know that's never easy uh it's gonna take a long time and people are gonna want to see results now and so there's for a few years there's definitely gonna be like what's xbox done with activision not much it's about the same there's gonna be a lot of that but it takes time for these things and i think the challenge is how they're able to communicate that with us and how perception is going to be people's reality when it comes to what they're actually doing uh but yeah that that's that's a baked in uh that's a baked in uh, challenge that they're, they're it's gonna be hard for them to, to surpass but eventually it's the outcome the 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 uh, the outcome of all of it at the end of the day and see how they're actually able to, to come out on top when it's all said and done. That's a great point, all of that, especially the, the human resources part of it. I think people have mm -hmm. to realize that, you know, change in, in the gaming industry doesn't start with games. It starts with people. And, right. and so there's a lot of things they have to refurbish about Activision, you know, um, and, and that's going to mean some turnover is going to happen. Might mean yep. it might even mean layoffs are going to happen. It's going to mean for sure throwing out old policies and bringing in you know more Microsoft policies, and and that's going to spark some people to probably leave of their own volition as well. Um, so there is going to be you know uh, as boring as it sounds, there's going to be a, a 
kind of a transition period for this yeah. where, you know, it's, it's not going to lead, you're not going to hear, Oh, this is getting remade and that's getting announced. So you're not going to get announcements like that in the next three months. It's just going to be no, a yeah. lot of like, okay, let's get our structure, right. Let's get our people, right. Let's get our policies, right. Then we can, now that we have that foundation, we can start making decisions on what we actually can yeah. and want to do as a company. And then you can go yeah. from there. Yeah, because when, when when Xbox bought Bethesda, one of the things they were very clear on very early was autonomy. They were going to let them be Bethesda. That's not something that they've said with Activision Blizzard because they can't do that. Uh, so it, it, off rip, they're it, they're going to get in there. They're, they're going to get in that ass. No, oh, in that ass. <laughs> uh, but yeah, to, to Marco's point, in the next three or four months, we're going to see a lot of layoffs, and that's going to come with a lot of criticisms. Uh, it, that's just that's just business. You know, we have to also understand that they are a business, and in order for the for this to work for them they have to make it work for them whether or not that means layoffs or studios shutting down or things being consolidated that's just what this is you know so we'll see what happens yeah it's going to be very interesting it's going to be very interesting okay so the last part here uh you know this is very important i think to to kind of speculate on Uh, how do we think that uh sony and how do we expect sony to respond if they respond at all marco yeah so you know it's important to remember that you know this this acquisition uh was not for microsoft to be a better third place right they're 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 here to you know take back some mind share they're here to make some noise with game pass they're here to start turning heads and start becoming uh you know, uh, uh, even more of a household name, but with the gaming community and, and move away from that laughing stock image and, and become a major player. So, you know, the ball game has changed now and, and the rules of engagement have changed. And I think it would be, it would be very bad of Sony to not kind of rethink their, their angle moving forward. Um, yes, they've got Call of Duty locked in. You know, if that was their big sticking point, then I guess mission accomplished. Congratulations. You've got 10 years of Call of Duty, but you still have a lot of answers uh, you need to come up with for, as I said earlier, for the mobile space. If that's an objective of yours at Sony, you need to figure that out and you need to figure that out knowing that Microsoft now has, you know, one foot further in the door than you do. Right. That's number one. Number two is you're going to have to figure out how to match output with, with Xbox because the days of, of, oh, you know, you get one Xbox exclusive a year, maybe two, you'll have a dry year like 2022. Those days are coming to a close. Those days are coming to a close. And I get it. You know, a lot of people are going to say, well, quality over quantity and it, sure. But at, at the end of the day, you you still have to show us that you have more than one or two games planned for a year when you have game pass and an Xbox, that's the same price as your PlayStation that is pumping out games left and right. And, yep. and, and now with the potential of putting call of duties on there and Diablo's on game pass too, like uh, you, you can't just, you can't stay in cruise control for long. That would be the foolish <laughs> thing. To do. So yeah, yeah, they get, they're going to have to get aggressive and I don't know what that means for them. Maybe they want to acquire studios of their own, Maybe they just want to hire more manpower for the studios they already have and try to, you know, boost the workflow to get out to get all the studios functioning almost like what Insomniac does, where it feels like they churn out a new game every two years or so. Um, But but something's going to have to give uh, if you're going to want to compete with the output and the diversity of the Xbox catalog moving forward. Yeah, I. 
I think that we know for a fact PlayStation has been very vocal during this entire process, right? They've been the most vocal uh, opposing this deal, um, and I guess that's part for the course. That you know, if you're if you're the competing company, you you want not your competition to 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 do anything that's going to be a net positive for them. I do think Sony's going to structure their future differently based on this acquisition. Here's the thing, though. We're not going to hear about it. They're going to do the opposite. They're going to go silent mode. They're not really going to talk about anything that seems like a response to this. They are going to be working it behind closed doors because they have to. It's just I think there's going to be a lot of frustration in the future for PlayStation fans because they're going to want PlayStation to come out and acquire studios. They don't have the bandwidth. They don't have the money to, to, to buy anything that's going to compete. That's going to put them in the same place as Xbox. They're going to want them to do something, anything to, 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 to seem like they're responding. And they're not, they're, they're, you're not going to see that. My, my fear with Sony and PlayStation as a whole is being the market leader, them still leaning on that and thinking that this isn't going to be a big deal or that this isn't really going to uh, change the landscape. And it is going to change the landscape. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next year, maybe not next in the next two years. But this is all about whatever companies are doing today behind closed doors. It's not something for tomorrow. It's something for five, six years from now. And I think that this acquisition is going to change the way that they do business. It's just we're not going to know about it. Not for a long time. That, that That's the reason why PlayStation was so vocal, because they know if this happened, that they would have to restructure, rethink their entire existence based off of this loan. And I think that's what's going to happen. It's just we're so used to in, in the recent couple of months, the last 20 months, uh, is, is, is seeing Sony be so vocal about what they're trying to keep xbox from doing and now we're not gonna we're not gonna hear that we're, they're gonna be very silent whether or not they come up with a plan that's going to be effective that's that remains to be seen uh it's just that as people like us that we're we're, we're not in the know we know as much as you do we just pay attention a little bit more and you know we're, we're really in the weeds when it comes to like reports and stuff like that that come out but we we're not gonna see that we're either and i want to apologize in the future because me and marco because we're just human we're gonna we're gonna have future shows we'll be like what well, playstation what are you doing why aren't you because that's just the nature of it but yeah. they are going to be working on something because they they're not the, they're not market leaders for for no reason they they have smart people doing what you know doing their job it's just that they might have bet on the wrong horse with games at service right now and that's going to take some time to change over. But yeah, they'll definitely respond. How? I don't know. I couldn't even begin to tell you because that's not that's not something that I'm... I'm that's not my job. One, two, I'm not good at it. I have no <laughs> idea where they would go. Uh, and so I, I, would, I would think if I had to... If I had to guess, I think the only thing that they can do in order to, to respond, not directly to the acquisition, but kind of give themselves a, 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 a place in the industry that's going to put them on par with Xbox. And, and, and it's, 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 it's not going to happen, I don't think. It's putting games day one on their, uh, on their service, on the PS Plus service. If they can emulate Game Pass pretty fairly, like consistently to, to what Game Pass is doing, I think that's the only way that they'll be able to, to, to show something as to why you should still care about PlayStation. The thing is, is I don't know if they can make it work. I don't know if they're structurally able to make it work. So there's a lot of questions there, but that's kind of where I'm coming from. You know, another another part of this that that plays a huge role in how Sony responds is going to be who is the new CEO? Right. Who is that? Yeah. 
Who's that guy that? or girl? Like, what are they going to want? What's their priority level on things? Like, what's their big obsession? Is it going to be mobile? Is it going to be, is it, oh, no, we're going to stick to the games of service thing that Jim Ryan left off with? Or are they going to pivot in a totally different direction and want different things for PlayStation? So I think whoever that individual is, is going to have a pretty big decision to make on how to compete with Xbox. Because if if they're smart, they're not just going to laugh in Xbox's direction and turn the other cheek just because they're third place. They're going to look at what they're doing and, and, and validate that to some degree and go, okay, we need to figure out how we're going to mitigate that. Because the next God of War mainline game isn't coming out until blah, blah, blah. And the next Last of Us probably won't be until 2020, blah, blah, blah. You know, So like they're going to know where things are at in terms of timelines for the, the games they know are in development. And so yeah. they're going to have to figure out what to do about the here and now. Um, and, you know, it, it's going to depend on the level of greed as well. Uh, you know, if they, if they bring in like a, a if they bring in a Bobby Kotick or, a, oh, or my gosh. If they bring in a John Riccatello or they bring in oh, somebody, no. you know, scummy like that, then, you know, holy crap. Donald Trump. <laughs> Listen, don't don't I have, do a I Trump have, impression of him on PlayStation. No, 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 no. I have a hot take. I have a I have a little bit of a hot take okay. here. Okay. Um, seeing Xbox pull off a basically seventy billion dollar deal, and not only and and, and pretty and, and seem pretty comfortable in doing so. I think the future. This is how I see the future. And 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 bear and bear with me a second here. And my I'm going to give an example. Remember the Fitbit when that came out? Yeah. The Fitbit was all the rage because it was it was the market leader in what it did, and then a couple of years later, the 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 Apple Watch came out right. and pretty much did what the Fitbit did, and then a lot more. I think that's how we're going to see the future of Sony PlayStation. I think PlayStation is always going to be around. I think they're going to be relevant, but they're the Fitbit of the landscape where they did everything first and they did it really well, but they just don't have the money like Apple did or Apple does or the money like Microsoft does to advance what they do into that next level because it's not it's no longer about just making games there's an ecosystem the game pass is, it seems to be the, what the future of subscription services and I don't think that Sony has it in them financially to make that change are they always going to be around absolutely are they going to evolve less? Yes. I think that eventually 10, 20 years from now, when my child is playing video games, I don't think that Sony is going to be the market leader, the, the one that's out there just killing everybody. But I don't think they're going to be irrelevant. I think they're still going to be around. I just wonder if they're going to ever, in my in my opinion, if they're ever going to accept that. Because if they try to move forward and do more, the only way they do that is by partnering with Apple or a Google or a, 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 a not Google, but uh, Apple mm. or some big so they can get that financial backing to compete if not with, or would they be, be content with being the Fitbit relevant still a 1.2 billion dollar company today like all that stuff but that's kind of where I'm at it's like yeah. I think that we're in a position right now where we're seeing the turn the tides turning and it's not having anything to do with with, with console warring at all I just think yeah, sure, the yeah. economical part of it in terms of what Microsoft is as an entity as a whole and what Sony is because Sony as a whole it's most profitable uh, arm is, so is PlayStation yeah. and they, they've been flailing for a very long time uh, on, on, on all aspects so I wonder if eventually in 15 20 years because it's not going to be overnight that PlayStation is just going to be the Fitbit of the video game landscape. But that's kind of where I'm Yeah, at. the Fitbit thing is actually a pretty astute point because it, what's the, the, the problem with PlayStation right now is they are the Fitbit, but they think that they're Apple. 
you know, right, and you right. see them move in a very Apple-esque way with like, this is our new device and this is our new headset collection and this is our new, you know, and it's all, you know, very, very that, that snooty Apple sort of sheen over everything. But there's still right. that Fitbit at heart. I would even go a step further with the spicy take and say that I see a merger or, an, or them being acquired in their future at this point. Yeah. I could see Disney doing it. Um, okay, I, if yeah. they want to go all wow. in with gaming, what better way of doing that than say, we'll take Sony. Um, right. I could see them merging with, you know, an Amazon or, you know, to, to bolster Luna on the Amazon side for cloud and to, you know, you know, Amazon to have PlayStation and then fight another monopoly yeah. war with the FTC. But, you know, like it, there's, there's different paths they can take as a business but i i i do think that yeah they can't do it alone and be right. and be where xbox is going um without some type of backing or merger or acquisition um where they get bought basically yeah but um that's pie in the sky but maybe not too far out of the realm of possibility but anyway yeah. um because they, they just haven't shown really any any growth in terms of how they do business or how they want you to be perceived so much so that this next story you're about to, to to talk about kind of highlights a lot of that unfortunately it does so let's go ahead and transition into that one pablo because uh sony has unveiled uh two slim ps5 models that will be launching this november uh, so here's the brief rundown of what they have announced. Uh, they have a new standard model, uh, which is smaller, uh, of course, and has a detachable disk drive included with the box, which is $500, so no price change uh, with the current model. They also have a new digital edition model uh, that has no disk drive at all, uh, but that one is $450, which is $50 more than the current digital PS5 model. Keep it pinned in that one, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, vertical stands are now sold separately. Uh, no longer packed in box. They are sold separately for $30. And if you do want to get a detachable disk drive, um, it will cost you $70. Now, it's important to note um, that the only meaningful advantages of having a slim PS5 model is the smaller size and an extra 175 gigabytes of SSD space. Uh, and because of this, Sony has received backlash, particularly because of the $50 price hike for the digital edition. Um, and that's because if you look at it in a certain way, purchasing a digital edition and then if you wanted to get that detachable disk drive for an extra 70 bucks, comes out to a total of $520, which is $20 more than the SKU that comes with the disk drive in the box. Um, and Sony's also sort of receiving criticism for charging players an extra $30 to simply stand the PS5 upright as it was designed. Um, so, Pablo, I, I think we have to kind of... We might have to get in their asses here uh, about this one. So what are we thinking about this? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the standard model, the disk drive at 500 would be very, very hard to find. And the digital edition. That is a great point. I didn't think of that. Make the standard because model scarce. Make people have to accessorize to death to spend extra money. To, oh, my yeah, God. Because they did that They did that with the disc, the, uh, the digital they edition, did. where the digital edition is incredibly hard to find because it is $100 cheaper than the standard PlayStation 5 right now. I mean, when I say incredibly hard to find, I mean damn near impossible. I couldn't get uh, one. I, that's what I wanted yeah. initially, and I couldn't. I had to settle for the one I have now, so... Yeah, it it's 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 kind of mind-boggling. Even today, it, it's um, it's it's almost it, it's 
I would doubt if they were making more of those, to be honest with you. So, yeah, I think that this is absolute horseshit, and it is right up there with exactly what Sony has been doing this whole generation. They, they've literally been nickeling, nickeling and diming people, whether it, whether, it, whether it has to do with this or, or uh, just a whole bunch of uh, pointless accessories. This is just doesn't make any sense to me, um, especially with the whole $70 detachable disc drive. Like, so you're telling me if I buy a five hundred dollar uh, disc drive uh, PlayStation, I can detach that disc drive, sell it for for seventy, make a little bit of profit? Like, I, it's just so crazy. Like, what are we talking about here? Uh, yeah, I think that they deserve all the criticisms that they uh, they're getting, and I also this is just a an example of Sony not getting it. They don't get it, or they don't give a fuck. Really, they don't. The consumer is not their concern, which is insane to me. They just don't really give a shit about that. They 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 want to maximize their dollars here, uh, and they know because there's people already clamoring at getting this because oh, I'll detachable disc drive. That's a, that's very uh, like I don't know why a modular design is such a a huge uh, thing for them. It doesn't make a lot of sense for me. I think that all this is horse shit. They should have launched the original PlayStation 5 with a, a terabyte to begin with. Now they're t- having people praise them because now they put an additional 175 gigabytes that should have already been there. This is all ridiculous. This is more of the same. And not to top it off, Marco, this isn't just an, an, an additional new SKU. This is going to be the SKU, period, yep. going forward. It replaces... The, the old consoles, uh, this is dumb. And, and you know, 30, I said 30% smaller, I guess. I said, I don't, uh, it's still ugly. I, I it looks <laughs> that. It, it, I actually I'm think, just so I think the current model is a little easier on the eyes than this one, in my opinion, honestly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's so confusing. All this is confusing as to why they thought this would be a good idea. Uh, just so many, so many decisions. The hike, the pricing, the hike of the PS Plus for no reason. Uh, this, a lot of, a lot of decisions being made with just money in mind and nothing to do with the consumer convenience. It is crazy out in these streets right now. Yeah, you're right about that. It's it, people have been calling it Jimflation. Uh, <laughs> what Jim Ryan's doing? It, yeah, this is Jim Ryan written all over it. It it really does. Um. Man, if you had asked me to record this a couple of days ago, I would have been livid, um, you know, and it, but at this point, how mad can I be when I've seen nothing but mounting evidence that points to Sony becoming gradually more anti-consumer as time goes on? The fact that they snuck in a price hike for absolutely no understandable reason Making a vertical stand a separate purchase. That that one to me was like the, the twisting of the knife in my opinion. Like you've literally designed your console in in all of your marketing materials showing the PS5 upright in a vertical position. And so that's kind of the de facto position of the console. And you decide yep. to make people pay for literally how they lay their console on their on their table or TV unit? Like what is that's crazy. what are we doing? And then they mitigate like the, the the horizontal position by giving you this weird silver paperclip looking thing that holds up the console when you have it horizontal, which is a completely cheapo solution for that. Which I, I don't even trust that. It's even worse than is that what that is? Yeah. Is that what that it looks is? like a little? I had no idea what that was. And <laughs> people have memed it and <laughs> as uh, people put people somebody put Insomniac Games is uh, logo next to the paperclip because they're holding up PlayStation <laughs> right now. It's hilarious. <laughs> so 
but yeah, internet's undefeated. But um, yeah, I mean, the math doesn't math. The it doesn't make sense. There's nothing about what they're doing with this that feels like oh, this is good for me. You know, like it, it, at this point, when you look at everything they've done over the last year or two with all the price increases and anti-consumer moves they've done, it as a longtime PlayStation fan, it feels like I'm paying the price for paying PlayStation. Like yeah. all those years that I invested my money into them, their hardware, their ecosystem, their first party games. And it feels like all I got back was like a pat on the back and like, uh, you know, gouge you very much. And, and they just kind of walk <laughs> off and take your money and then do something like really screwy to you. So it, it just makes me lose so much trust in them, particularly with the PS5 Pro. Um, because if if this came out, right, and, and they didn't lower the price of the PS5 in, in this whole Oof. thing, right? What the hell is the PS5 Pro going to cost, dude? 700 bucks? 650? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, 650. Yeah, you know, something like, like, that's what I was thinking. So, like, I mean, at what point is it just getting absolutely absurd, you know? And so PlayStation is reaching an indefensible point of anti-consumerism, in my opinion, where I haven't really seen them do anything in recent memory that's like, oh, that's really convenient for me. Thank you. Or, oh, that saved me a couple bucks. Thanks. You know, like there's stray. That's it. That stray. And, you know, they're, they're half assed rewards program. I guess if you spend enough money, you get, you know, you can redeem some money or and get better customer service. I, I mean, to me, that's just kind of a slap in the face as a, as a, as a longtime PlayStation fan. And I'm very protective of where I spend my money nowadays, man. I, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm one of those people now where I want to feel like I'm supporting a company that supports me in some kind of way. And, well, yeah, and, and they're not doing a consumer that consumer based relationship. Yeah. So that's, that, that's pretty like, that's pretty fair to think that way. And I, you know, obviously you have people who are defending it in that they're saying, well, don't buy it. You don't have to buy it. And that's true. You don't have to buy it. The problem isn't the actual console. It's the fact that they're making this, these decisions and they are a okay with being extremely vehemently anti-consumer. So, the next thing that comes out, like the pro, the thing that people would want to actually get, like, what are we talking about then? Like, are they going to 650, but it doesn't come with the controller, but you have to buy the pro controller that oh, only works on God. this, which is $300. Like, like what are, what are, what exactly are we looking to in the future? Like what's next? Cause it, why would, why would, why would we think that Sony's going to do anything that's going to please the consumer in this cycle at all? Yeah. They just, they're, they they have a lead, and I think that they're content with that, and I think that all they're trying to do is maximize their dollars to the most they can, and shit like this just leads to my theory that they have nothing, nothing, nothing down the pike for a long time because they're trying to get all their money now with 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 Spider Man with Spider Man coming out because this is coming out soon, like next month. This, they're they're no, trying a to a couple days. Okay, yeah, this is trying to they're trying to literally use Spider Man as a way. To uh to to implement shit like this so they can make the most money that they possibly can this holiday season because they ain't got nothing coming. That's that's been my theory for for a while now, and I think that's what I think this strengthens that because it's like okay, let let's make more money on on the PS Plus, let's make more money on this because we're gonna lose some customers here in the next couple of years because that's how I feel that 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 that's where the company is going. Yeah, it's so weird because it's like they're trying to get like us prepped with having all the best the best hardware and accessories waiting for games that just aren't coming. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I have, I have it's... the best console. I got all the year. I got the headset you wanted me to get. I have the pro controller. Where are your games? You know? And, and, yeah. and they're like, well, do you want another headset? Oh, 
Like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. We bought Audis. They make great headsets. You can get another one and wait for games while you're you have another great headset. Like, what what's the proposition? Like, the, the you know, it just what they're doing does not. It makes business sense in in a weird roundabout way. It doesn't make consumer sense though, and they have to figure out a yeah, way to sure. bridge that gap. Um, or else, man, uh, we'll be talking a lot differently about PlayStation's uh, mind share and market share in the next couple of years if they keep this up. Um, for sure but third and finally Pablo real quick uh, we talked about this game at the top of the show but we're going to circle back to it real quick because uh, of course the new Souls-like game Lords of the Fallen is out Uh, but however it is receiving backlash for the Xbox version which is suffering from major technical issues like severe frame rate drops and textures not even loading in among other things Uh, the developer CI Games issued a statement on X that promised to bring a patch to uh, bring the Xbox version up to speed with the PC and PS5 versions Uh, but as of right now there's still issues that remain Um, because the the patch is out yeah well one patch is out it's still still a lot of problems running around so uh, Um, the ordeal kind of brought out, you know, a bigger concern into focus about, is there an optimization problem for Xbox hardware? Uh, is this more of a them thing? Who or what is at fault here in your opinion, Pablo? I mean, off rip, you would, you would say, okay, it's a developer because it's their job to optimize. But when you look back at a lot of the third party games and even some of their first party stuff, Xbox, there seems to be something going on with Xbox and their optimization, uh, where uh, the games usually run fairly well, but if there is going to be an issue when you compare it to the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X specifically, it's usually there with the Xbox Series X. I don't know what exactly it is. There were some issues with the internal clock clocking uh, incorrectly and showing that a game was running at 64 frames when it was running at 50 that early on, a couple of years ago. Um, they haven't addressed that since then, so I don't know if that's an ongoing issue, but I really do think that... Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I think that there's a lot... Uh, there's a lot of questions that I have with Xbox in terms of what they're doing. Is it the Series S? Is that what's happening? Uh, there's just a lot of things there. So this is kind of just highlighting that even further because I know uh, Lies of P had a little issue with if you rotated your character in place, it stuttered in, in place a little uh, with the character as opposed to the PlayStation 5, which didn't have that at all. Uh, there's a lot of those examples, uh, but it, it's just it's 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 a little crazy right now uh, because it just seems to be just these little things can can add up and be more especially with 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 the focus now being on xbox and them seeing what they do next yeah you know obviously i can't speak to lords of the fallen so i can't tell you firsthand what what is going on on the xbox side there i mean as far as whether there's an xbox issue or it's a developer issue i i think it's sort of a two-way street um, I think you know we've we've maintained on this show many times that the Series S can and will eventually become a hindrance to what they're going to be able to pull off in terms of visuals, fidelity, and performance because it is the lowest common denominator for them um, in terms of capabilities, and that is going to catch up to them in some way. We kind of saw a little taste of that with Larian Studios and having trouble bringing their uh, their co op to Baldur's Gate three uh, on Xbox. Um, I think that, to me, there's two things at play. I think it's the Series S issue, and I think that there's a is it feels and this is a little tinfoil hatty, but there's sort of a unofficial, unwritten deprioritization of Xbox versions of games to me sometimes, 
where it feels like, you know, the power difference between the PS5 and Series X is not, it's, it's negligible. You know, it, it's not a lot of huge differences. I mean, they have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, and so really a lot of games that are multi-platform should kind of break even, you know, when you really look at it. Um, there's nothing cripplingly wrong with the Series X architecture as a whole or how to develop a game for Xbox. I think a lot of this... Actually, the, the opposite. Yeah. Uh, Digital Foundry says that they have a really... They have a 30% advantage right. uh, on paper, but they're, I guess devs are unable to access it or it would take more time. And what's the reason of doing that? And they have to also develop for the S. So, mm-hmm. it, like, to your point... They're not prioritizing the Xbox Series X because they're not even able to tap into that 30% because of the amount of work that it takes to get there and also develop for the Series S. Well, and I also think it's a sales potential issue as well because most games sell on PlayStation because the user base is larger, right? So that's going to be, you know, the unofficial lead skew for a multi-platform game and so they want to make sure that that's in a good position because if that's not and you get negative buzz about that then let's say the roles reverse the ps5 version was the one that was all jacked up that's who knows what piece of the pie that could have been maybe that's 60 percent of right. the projected sales from ps5 that's kind of soured yeah it's True. great that the xbox version came along fine but we only expected to make 20 percent of our revenue from the xbox version right so that there's that kind of game to it as well um, and that's kind of what I'm uh, I'm accusing here in, in 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 some kind of way that you know there is a prioritization with these studios no matter what they say I mean yes they all want to make the games great on uh, across all versions but sometimes development doesn't always lead you down the path of being able to do that and so you have to sort of pick your spots and sometimes PlayStation games just kind of get the the leg up because of the you know the the potential for profit and not wanting to squander that by making a bad version you know. And that's not a tinfoil. I don't even think it's tinfoil because I mean, what's the reason that the Xbox Series X version of of Lords of the Fallen is at a complete disarray, and the PS5 version, which is the version I'm playing, based on those issues, uh, isn't. You know, it's got to be that. It's got to be that they prioritize. They're smaller. They're a smaller company to begin with, so they want to maximize their dollars. So obviously, yeah. if you get on the on on the console with the bigger uh with the bigger base, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that that's that's just a great point. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully, you know, if all else fails, hopefully that version of the game gets patched up to speed and and fans that bought that version are not getting screwed or fighting for refunds and dealing with that kind of hell at the very least. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, especially with the Series X factor um, uh, and Series S, I mean, um, how that's going to shape the way that games are developed on Xbox as games get bigger and more ambitious. Um, But yeah, nevertheless, um, going to go ahead and move on to the main event of the show pablo but before we do that ladies and gentlemen if you made it this far and you like what you've been hearing from us uh we'd really love it if you consider subscribing to our podcast right now uh you know sure we fumble a word or two here or there pablo might cite a rapper out of nowhere i might bungle easy words in the beginning of the show but hey uh, you got some pretty interesting analysis about the news stories that we have in the industry and some of the games we're playing. And if you like that and you want more of that, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google or pretty much anywhere you like to stream podcasts. Uh, we'll probably be there. Uh, and if you find us there and you like us even more than we thought you did, leave us a nice review, too. That can go a long way for us as far as getting us up on the algorithms. We are a really small time podcast, just two dads that 
like talking about video games for leisure. So uh, that would help us get out a little bit, a little bit more and, and get more exposure and eventually get incredibly arrogant and abandon our core listenership. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, all jokes aside, that would mean a lot to us if you can subscribe. Uh, but let's go ahead and move on to the main event of the show, Pablo. We call that the Checkpoint Chat, so let's get started. It's time for the Checkpoint Chat. All right, so Pablo, question that's been kind of eating at me a little bit is, is the gaming industry hard to trust or are gamers just hard to please? Uh, so we're going to try to unpack this a little bit by analyzing uh, some of the most common preconceptions about the gaming industry and game developers uh, to kind of determine their validity. So we're, we're basically taking on a lot of very popular assumptions that you hear gamers make about developers and games these days and publishers and so on and so forth. And we're going to kind of analyze what's true about maybe what they're saying, what's not so true, what a lot of them do or don't understand about the inner workings of the business and kind of see where we land from there. So um, Pablo, why, why don't we start with one that I think we hear a lot these days? Um, and I'm really curious to get your analysis of this one. And that is the, the notion that developers are lazy. Um, that's a very loaded thing to say, man, to say the least. But where do you kind of land on a statement like that? And where are you coming from? Yeah, I think that's a ridiculous statement uh, it, for the most part. I mean, if it's a one-person development team and they make a really bad game and they're just lazy as per okay maybe but it's just there's so much (laughs) abandoned right there's so much that goes into into developing a game and i think the biggest misconception i think this is going to be the theme at least mine throughout this entire uh checkpoint chat is that people misconstrued and conflate a developer and a publisher examples like well they just ripped that from the main game to make it dlc as as a form as to why uh, uh devs are lazy i mean sometimes a publisher ha- wants more uh from their gamers right from that game they want dlc something where they can make more money later and so now a developer is now forced to think on their feet and now make that happen and sometimes you get that or something something's along the lines of devs are content with bugs because they have the ability to patch the game that's also a publisher thing where it's like okay we need this game out in next year this date unmovable date and so they have to strive and do the best that they possibly can in order to get that there. And now they'll use the patches in order to, to to realize their final vision of the game. Now, there's some companies that are publishers and developers at the same time, but also they have people that they have to, that, you know, investors that they have to, to, to appease. So it's not all that easy. Developers aren't in here and be like, they're not the unfortunately which is weird in such a creative medium developers aren't always the end-all be-all when it comes to when the game is coming out even some design choices some story choices there's so much into it so when people call developers lazy it's cringy for me because of the simple fact that developers are at the whim of their publishers or at the whim of their management team maybe management is lazy maybe the publishers are lazy you know that 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 could all be true and i'm sure there's some devs that do more than other devs within the company that's just that's just corporate america that's just the structure that's just the way it is there's people who are better at their job than others but to call the developers 
generally speaking, as a whole, lazy because now they have this DLC that they should have probably implemented or something along the lines. For example, Lords of the Fallen has a class, three classes uh, that you can get at the end of the game or you can buy them and purchase them early on to get that. And people are like, that's lazy development to kind of bolster money. And maybe, but maybe that's just, there's a fiduciary responsibility with the with the publisher, with, with investors that they have to make this amount of money and they have to make more money down the line. So there's so many things that go into it to outright call developers lazy. I think it's, it's, it's a little bit of nonsense. Yeah, I, I, um, I've always been a little iffy about that, that assumption as well. Cause I, you know, you got, you almost got to look back at the core of it all. Like when somebody decides to be a game developer, right. As a career path, as a passion, whatever the case, I've never heard one person say, you know, my dream is to be a lazy developer. <laughs> it's not what you hear, you know, everyone comes in bright eyed and bushy tailed wanting to make great experiences to, you know, expand the media, move it forward and leave their mark on the industry. Um, what usually brings that down is what you were just talking about. It's, it's the, the cold, hard realities of game development and the business ass business of it all, where the money's on the line, billions of dollars are being exchanged and there's, there's numbers to hit, there's deadlines to meet and your cushy, cool, neat little vision of this game um, coming out picture perfect is just not going to happen. And so I think that people in the development scene do the best job they can do with the resources they have, with the time they have, trying not to run their work-life balance into the ground and, and make their lives living hell. Um, and they've, they've kind of become bullet fodder for the internet yeah, yeah, along yeah. the way taking all the hits and the shots and the harassment and the criticisms and the death threats from people that, you know, don't even understand how the industry works, you know, and that's the big one not right realizing that it's not the developer's fault that there was that bug in the game or that you didn't get the feature quite the way you thought it was going to be in, in the final product. It was a series of decisions handed down from the person on the top of the building all the way down to the foot soldier at the bottom and you're attacking the person who has no say in it all. So yeah, I think it's a huge misconception on the gaming community's part um, in headhunting the wrong people. Uh, so you're absolutely right in that regard. And I think that's something that has to change about the way people look at gaming um, because it's just going to make matters worse and it's going to deter people from wanting to get in this space and be, have a career here at all. And yeah. this is what they're going to be subjected to. Yeah, I don't think developers set out to make a bad game. No. It's like, all right, what's the next bad game we're going to make? Right. That's ridiculous. You have to trust that everybody's trying to come into game development with the best of intentions. But again, the realities of game development are very real. And you'd be surprised if you knew a lot of behind the scenes stuff that goes on that we never see the light of day about that happens, you know, without us knowing. Um, so it, it's a really important thing to keep in mind for sure. Um Moving on, do you have uh, anything quick, you want to uh, add? No, that's it. Real quick, uh, listeners, you might hear an ice cream truck in the background. It's because I live in a a, a neighborhood filled with children. Okay, uh, but well, you, sorry, I feel like you're bragging about your community at this point. Um, <laughs> okay, all right, that's a bop right there. Shit, it's it's a bop. Huh. It goes in. Okay, you're not gonna freestyle over that at all. 
No, nah, no, nah, I'm going to save that for later. Wow, disappointing. Okay. Yeah. Um, lazy podcasters, man. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to the next one uh, that we wanted to talk about here. And that is the notion that no one cares about our feedback. Pablo, where do you stand on this? Do you think there's truth to it, lies to it, or somewhere in the middle? What do you think? I think, once again, it's a lot of uh, a misconception. I think that people play a game and they don't like something and they give the developer feedback. And if it's not fixed tomorrow, they don't care. It doesn't work like that. I, I, I Look, there are definitely, definitely developers, uh, you know, that are very strong. They're very much about their vision, and regardless if the final product and that vision doesn't work, they will not change or change course, you know, at all. You know, there, there's a lot of that, sure. But in, in terms of the feedback overall, you know, it, it's a process. You know, you 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 give you give your you give your your feedback based on the things that you think would work or not work uh and you hope that the developer can implement that but it isn't as simple as oh this person doesn't like that the character has 120 hp they wish he had 125 and you make that change tomorrow because that's going to trickle down and, and and mess up a whole bunch of different things like it's having a fundamental understanding of what it is that makes that game work and why those decisions were make uh, were made but I, I would say for the most part especially when it comes to specific games that really are going to lean on longevity throughout in, in terms of for them to, for that to be a successful IP. I think that they do listen to feedback. It's just, it, it's not what people think it is. I don't think people are like, this needs to be this. And that, and if it's not changed in the next week or two that then nobody cares. So it, it's just one of those things where it's a, it's a, it's a huge misunderstanding uh, of how things work within that. And they just feel like a lot of people really think a lot of themselves and they think that that because I think that doesn't work and it doesn't work for everybody. And so you get a lot of that. Yeah, actually, that's kind of where I wanted to start with my whole point is I think a lot of the problem with people feeling like their feedback isn't heard is the way they're delivering their feedback, right? Mm -hmm. You can't call everything broken because you don't like it. Right. You know, some games are just right. designed to be what they are, but you guys go and call them broken as if there's some bug or glitch or it's just not functional at all, or it's not, it's literally not playable, but people will use those, those words and terms to describe things that are not technically in that kind of condition. It is literally playable. And I know people are going to be like, oh, that's semantics, but semantics matter when you're fielding feedback from millions of players that are playing your game. Right. And that's why is, is, sterile as it sounds that's why you know customer support and ticket based systems are what a lot of companies lean on to filter and organize um legit feedback to make games better right they don't just go and look at twitter threads and look at what you know first name bunch of numbers had to say uh, on the fourth <laughs> reply who's in charge of graphics you know it's it's that guy's not getting any who's, attention who's head of graphics yeah. <laughs> so it, there's that part of it right and to that point, a lot of you come at developers really sideways. <laughs> like the way that you guys talk to these people, you know, like it, the harassment is a real thing. Showing your penis to them is a real thing. Threat your butthole. Threatening to murder them is a real thing. There's no world that exists where your feedback is going to be respected. I don't care if you're right about the problem with the game. If you're going to call these people idiots, jerks, lazy, 
Um, if you're going to make fun of how they look or the way they talk, if you've heard them before, um, make fun of their physiques or threaten them in some kind of way, it doesn't matter how right your criticism is about the game. You're going to be thrown in the trash in their eyes. So oh, imagine this game, this move should have three iframes. Here's my dick. What? What are you talking about? It sounds like an exaggerated example, but that's the way people think about these things. Like it's, <laughs> it's wacky, you know? So these people are not going to care what you have to say. If you're not going <laughs> to, if you're not going to be respectful and tuck your peen in your pants, man, encumbrance should be taken out of this game. Here's my bleach asshole. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Why is it bleach though? <laughs> Um, I don't yeah. think the typical. I mean, if they're gonna show guys, it off. If they're gonna show it off, they're gonna show it off, man. They 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 gonna do some maintenance. Here's the gooch. What <laughs> for the sixty frames mode for Redfall? Yeah, like no, we're not doing that. So, you know, it's again. I think it's about the way we come at these developers, man. Like these community managers are in the weeds dealing with man, people, I, man. I do not envy that position. Oh my god, it's terrible. You can't say one thing without having a reply in there. Yeah, thanks for telling us about inclusivity in the workplace. Meanwhile, you're still got frame rate drops in your single play like dog. It's go what, home. It's what people even look think it's feedback. Like the new voice of the Mario of Mario was announced and and that person, they have pronouns on their profile. He, him, right? And the 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 responses were he needs to go. I don't need pronouns in my Mario game. What are you talking about? <laughs> and they think that's feedback. And if they don't take that guy off of the uh, off of Mario voice acting, then, then then they don't listen to feedback. They don't care about me. It's a woke. <laughs> they, <laughs> It's so old. It's crazy. Oh, man. I never thought in a million years ago that you'd identify, hey, I'm a man. And they go, oh, relax, buddy. <laughs> well, let's move on to the next one, Pablo. And that's the, that's the preconception that all everyone cares about is money. What do you think about this one, man? Yes. <laughs> Look, developers are artists and they're making art. Absolutely. They work for a company and they have responsibilities and they like to get paid. They make these games for because of the art of it, but they also make games because they want them to make money. The notion that all developers, all they want to do is make money. They want to make a good game first and foremost, but they also want that game to make money. That's just the way this works. This is this is a, a business. At the end of the day, people don't like to hear that, which is so weird that people don't like to hear, hear that making games, writing novels, making film is about making money at the end of the day. It is an expressionist uh, art form, sure, and they have developers who do that. And what's wrong about visually making something artistic and, and, and expressive yourself in artistic form and also wanting to make money like it, it, it's just a ridiculous it's a ridiculous notion that a developer can't want to make money because that equals that their product is less than it's is not really led by the art because it wants to make money art and money they go hand in hand i mean there are some artists out there of course that don't care about money sure but when you are working for an industry that 
works on it making money or you literally get taken out of your position. You literally don't get a paycheck. You have been taken out of your job. You have no job. You're sitting at home. What's the point of that? As an artist, how can I, how can I show my art if I don't, I'm, I'm unable to do that? Um, are there bad examples of this? Are there a lot of people who are obviously trying to gain the system and make the perfect game algorithm that equals the most money? Yes, sure. There's bad examples. There are bad apples in all in all aspects of, of life in terms of, of workforce stuff. But as a whole, when you want to generalize and be like, this person make Destiny 2, all they care about is making money. All that's all that they all, that's all Bungie cares about. No, they, they had a vision. They executed that vision, but they also need to make money in order to continue to execute the vision that they have. You may not like it. That's okay. But that's that's how these things work. You know, again, there's always going to be examples of people who are doing the opposite of that. But for the most part, it goes hand in hand. You can be an art. You can be an artist and make an artistic artistic expression in a video game form. But you can also want that thing to make money. And you can also implement things within that game that, you know, are going to make you money. That's just the way these things work. Yeah. I mean, you know, look. It's called the gaming industry, not the gaming charity, right? <laughs> so the, the reality is of, of, of this is that we this is a business. And caring about revenue is not something you should be offended about when these companies do that. Like, they're supposed to care about revenue. It's not anti-consumer to care about their revenue. Um, what's anti-consumer is when they compromise value proposition for you. Kind of like what we talked about PlayStation. Let's just keep it. Let's just keep it real. You know, I, I threw the anti-consumer word out there at that point, and I, I stand by that. That to me is anti-consumer. Yeah, yeah, they're doing what they're doing to make money, but they're doing it in in this sleazy way that's very transparently unfair and unreasonable. Right. A lot of what many people are complaining about with the all they care about is money thing are things they really shouldn't be so offended about. You know, like games are going to be seventy bucks. I don't know how to make that different for you for a triple A game. I just don't. But what you what you, you people out there have to realize is that no one's got a gun to your head or a knife to your throat making you buy anything you don't want to buy. Buy what you want for the price that you want. You know, like I hear people say, I can't believe I have to spend seventy dollars on this game. Who said you had to do anything? You can buy right. the game for whatever price you're ready to pay for. You're going to have to wait a while or find a different means to acquire that game or whatever it is you want, but you, the option is there. So no one's strong arming you to do anything. You never bought what you didn't want. So stop complaining about it. You know, these companies are only going to be able to stay in business if they get your business. So don't complain when you're funding them so that they can provide more experiences for you. Now, when it turns into something lopsided and you feel like you're spending money on a company that's just screwing you over in the end in a very blatant way, like how I feel about PlayStation currently, you know, then you can kind of say, hey, hey, this doesn't yeah. feel right to me anymore. An example, like Star Citizen, who, you know, oh, God. They, they've been they've been trying to make uh, the, their final version of the game for 10 years and they sell you a ship for 700 real dollars. It's like, what are you what what are we doing? Yeah. And we're not seeing the we're not still we're, we're still not seeing the end of that game or or the 1.0 as it were. Like that that stuff is like a yeah, game was supposed you know, to be that's done the stuff in 2014. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's insane. It's like a weird yeah. form of crowdfunding at that point. You know, it's like what are we doing right. here? So and not being honest about it. Yeah, you know? yeah, hundred percent. Like I'm sorry, guys. The gaming industry requires money to make money. 
and to make games. Yeah. And that's just what it is. And that's, that's not going to change for you. Um, the next and thing. I also think that oh, the ahead, gaming industry is pretty good. Is pretty good about calling people out like that, like the the abandons of the world, right? Yeah, like that's the, true. The, the the vaporware stuff. I think that when it is all said and done, you keep talking about it. You keep having people pay for stuff that's not ever going to happen. I think eventually you, we see that come out and, and people react accordingly, for the most part, yeah. for sure. Well, the next one we have here, Pablo, is the preconception that trailers and marketing are too misleading. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I, this one's a little bit of a, a a tough one because it goes back to the whole they're trying to sell you something, but I don't think in this case that that's always the way to go about it. Um, you know, I'll give an example like the Perfect Dark uh, trailer that came out announcing the game. They had no idea. They have no idea. Maybe maybe now they do, but at the time and even as recently as last year, they had no idea what that game was going to be. And so kind of showing off this game, showing Joanna Dark on a, on a rooftop and and it, and it being rendered by not even the developers, just a whole different company in order to, to get that out there. That's the kind of stuff where it's like, why did you have to do that? Like that that might not be misleading, but it's a little bit sketchy. It's like you want me to be hyped for a game that you don't even know what the game is. When it comes to things like that, that's a little bit kind of like where you can I guess you can chalk it up to it being misleading. Um, there are certain uh, trailers and things that I've seen uh, that really don't. Uh, when you look at the final product, it's not what they promised. And yeah, I, I think that that happens a lot. <clears throat> I don't think that's on the dev. I think that's again on the publisher. Uh, but I would, I would, I'd rather if you release some kind of marketing or trailer talking about something, and as development goes on, and you realize that that's not going to be the thing, I kind of want uh, companies to be a little more open about that and be like, hey, just to let you know, this is kind of an update where the game is, and these are the changes that we've made since we last talked about it. Some people do it. Some people do it. Some people don't. Uh, and so there's a lot of that happening, and I don't think this is that that cut that clear and cut where it's like, no, 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 let developers do what they do, let publishers do what they do, because ultimately they only give you the game that they can. But they they do make promises, and they don't, and and if they do make a promise, I think it's within our right to kind of call them out a little bit when the game comes out and it isn't what they promised, you know. Uh, so that's where I'm at with that one. Yeah, I, I think there's a this one's a, one of the more interesting ones to unpack because I think that's there's a lot there is some blame I think to give to the industry. And I think there's yep. some blame to give to the gamers. Um, I think the blame that I would give to the industry side is, yeah, I think there's a lot of weird false advertising tactics that happen. Famously, Halo 5 was one of the best example, Oof. the best worst example of that, I should say. Um, we, we've seen instances where there's been graphical downgrades that are significantly worse than how they were first revealed. Like Watch Dogs is probably the best example of that. Um, captured in engine. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. a big Whatever one, that you know. Means. Like, you, well, yeah. What does that mean? And and how trustworthy is that, right? Um, and I think generally, I think trailers can sort of get stuck in being too sizzly, and and not providing enough context. You know, like I I think that yeah, it's great that you were able to license that song from Metallica for your trailer, and you're splicing together things that look cool but i mean at the end of the day i just think there's not enough explanation and exposition about what games actually are trying to achieve um but i think the flip side of that is we've seen instances where it's like hey we told you exactly what this game is and yet you guys 
developed a dream version of our game in your head that you didn't get in reality, and now you're pissed mm-hmm. at us. A la Starfield. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, they yeah, spent yeah, yeah. 45 minutes trying to tell everybody, hey, this is going to be a grounded interpretation of sci-fi. It's going to go with a NASA punk aesthetic. Alien life is going to be very minimal at best. Just letting you know. Planets are going to be barren because we want to make this feel real and not just populated with it. And some people took that and internalized that as, oh, we're getting Mass Effect. We're going to get to bang yep. aliens in this game. No, that's not what this is. <laughs> so it's like, okay, that's on you guys for mm-hmm. not r- interpreting the information you were given the right way. So I think that's a big problem that I've noticed more and more is people just kind of take a trailer and they run with it and they start going, oh, it's going to be this and it's going to have that. And surely it's going to do this thing. And then when it doesn't do those things and then you get the reality of what the game actually is in your hands, then you're disappointed, you know, and then what ends up happening is those people will stop playing the game. Then they'll come back to it like a year later and go, oh, you know what? I actually like the game because now the dust is settled and you're over whatever feelings you were in at the time. So I think it's a two way street. I think the industry has got to get better at being more informative and and more transparent about what the games are. And I think fans got to chill out and stop making games in their mind that aren't real in reality. Yeah. So I I had one on here that I, uh, I kind of took out just now. It's the, uh, the vertical slice conversation. Cause that goes hand in hand with this one. I I, basically, you know, I I think that companies need to be a lot more open when it's a vertical slice, something like, Hey, this isn't really the final determination what this game is. Cause I know cyberpunk had one years ago, uh, a vertical slice that looked crazy that turned out, that turned out to be something else completely. So, you know, I think it, it, I think companies and devs and, and publishers can can gain a lot of <clears throat> uh, f- uh, goodwill with, with people if they're a lot more open. Regardless of what the conversation is now, that conversation in terms of misleading can be had later when the game finally comes out. So, you know, there, there's a two-way street, like you said. It's good to have open form of communication, <clears throat> though it's not always possible because there's so, so many people involved that people want to... Uh, people would like for you to be misled to buy the game in order for you to buy the game you thought you were getting. So there's that too. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, there is a little bit of shadiness on that side for sure. Um, next thing we have on our list, Pablo, is a preconception that everyone's just obsessed with making sequels and remakes. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that uh, when you look at uh, uh, when you look at what is going to make money. Uh, a new IP is always a huge, huge, huge um, risk. And then even a, a sequel to something is also a huge risk. I think a lot of the times, a lot of the, the remakes uh, and a lot of the remasters that we're seeing are um, are kind of safe bets. There are examples of games like Resident Evil 2, 3, and 4 being remade and being remade in a way where it is a lot it's a, a complete upgrade and actualizing or, or like uh, remaking the game to fit it's the current uh, industry as of how it stands now. Like kind of remembering those games in a, in, a, in a better light when it comes to 2, 3, and 4 because of how they play now. Or when you have the example of Final Fantasy VII where it is a remake, but it is a complete uh, a new interpretation of what we know of that story. So there are good examples, but no, there are a lot, a lot of 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 of, of remakes and uh, that see that, that, that take that formula and ultimately, unfortunately, uh, rehash a lot of stuff. You know, make a game one for one and and 
and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but they are obsessed with it and obviously if you make a game that's so good and you want the sequel you, it, it's you're not going to pivot from a, a, a great hit you had and then completely go to a new IP when you know a sequel you know you can get something out of that but yes I think the industry a, 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 as a whole is obsessed with that because they are for the most part safe bets and a lot of times it's a whole kind of conversations that filmmakers have one for them and one for me where I, this is going to give me the opportunity yes to make a sequel make a short hit that way I have now the ability to make what I want later on so there's a lot of that going on so yes I think that the, the industry is obsessed with those sequels and, re, and remakes but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing uh, always, you know, it, it, there's a fine balance that sometimes they hit and sometimes, unfortunately, that they don't. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of this comes from people that um, claim that they're tired of sequels and remakes. But I think we've seen that if if everybody's so damn tired of them, then why are they selling so well? Right. So right. It, to your point, it makes the most sense for these companies for business purposes to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on an IP that has the the most likely chance for success if it's a if it's a known commodity than trying to start from scratch and not knowing how it's going to pan out right um right. so i think people kind of have to get their own their own purchasing habits in check to to complain about this because uh, the, the people that complain about sequels and remakes the most are usually the people that buy them the most um and are the ones that 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 beg for a remake of this game and that game. So you have a short list of games you want remade anyway. So what are you complaining about? It seems like you're only sick of remakes because you're not getting maybe the remakes that you wanted. That's all it is really. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, Hey, I got a little bored of remakes too, but when KOTOR was first announced, I'm like, Ooh, hell, hell yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think it makes perfect sense. When you had uh, CDPR, you know, making games with Witcher 1 and 2 and some success, and then Witcher 3 comes out and Cyberpunk, and, and, and Witcher 3 is massive and it's huge, and they want people to experience Witcher 1 again because they feel like there's a lot there that people didn't get to see, and they can remake that game in, in now, in, in video games now in 2023 and beyond, and possibly have a hit but really just kind of uh, put their original vision back in front of you to where you can actually play it and enjoy it and appreciate what they've done i i i like that i i i really do i i think that there's some games that get remakes and you know we talked about the last of us 2 if that does happen that's a little bit redundant and, and there's some redundancies there sure but i mean dead space remake was fantastic i thought it was necessary remake I, you know there there are way more examples of good than bad when it comes to these kind of things yeah i would agree for sure. Uh, and then last one we have on our list, Pablo, is that devs should be should just be happy they get to make and play video games all day. <laughs> this one yeah. is this one is rich. Uh, <laughs> what do you stand on this one? Just think about what you do for a living. Just think about that for a second. And I'll think about going home and I'll think about I'm going to relax by doing the thing that I just did at work. No, devs essentially sacrifice their love of playing games because their love of making games is way it's it's way more they, they see that way more fulfilling that's why a lot of devs and I, we were talking off camera a lot of devs like 
retro gaming because they don't have to think about the the ones and and zeros when when playing a a modern game because that's what they do all day in the office you know devs are not out here playing games they're out here putting work you know they're they're making the next thing that you're going to enjoy a game i guarantee they won't be able to enjoy a game that they've had to play 20 different times and 20 different ways and all that broken not broken with bugs not bugs just because that's their job they are literally sick and tired of video games i think by the time they get home i I, there's a lot of devs out there who play one or two games a year that are on 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 x on twitter that talk about yeah they don't play a lot of video games and people are like what because why would you like why would your hobby be your your work and some people can do both sure but it's 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 ridiculous like the fact that devs should just be happy that uh, that they're not unionized and, and that they don't they might not be getting paid the standard uh, within the industry just because what they're doing is is playing games that's to say like making games and playing games is less than shut the fuck up like that's that's ridiculous it's a ridiculous notion the thing that you enjoy the thing that's your number one hobby the thing that you sit down you spend your money on it's not made by AI not yet anyway shit uh so like it, it's it's made by people who really put their their heart and soul into this and that essentially they they craft themselves out on on, on games they to, to make a game so it, it it's tough it's tough for these devs out there that, that they've taken the thing that they loved as kids and made it their job you know it's it, it's hard to, do, to to come home to that and just be more of that it's just ridiculous yeah i i i agree with this as well i i think um Everyone thinks everyone's job is easy, except their own. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's easy to look on the outside and go, oh, you make games for a living. You get to you get to make graphics. You know, it, it, you have no idea. You're head of graphics. <laughs> you have no idea what it takes to make a game. And I, I think the other thing is that you, to your point, not only do you not get to play games again, but you don't get to look at games the same way again either. You don't get to just, oh, man, that's a really good story. You're thinking about like, oh, what must it have taken for them to make that that feature work? And, oh, I wonder how they made that rendering technique. How, you know, you're, you're looking at things totally different. So it's there is a sacrifice that comes with it. It's like when I used to be in the hospitality industry um, and I'd go – you know, I was a manager at a you know couple different restaurants. I knew that when I got the job there, I would be sick of the food that I that I actually loved from that restaurant, right? Because you work there, and it's like, oh, this is uh, fuck fuck this entree right here that I used to order all the time because now I have to make it, you know. So yeah. it's it is that way, and um, or you go or you go into a restaurant and their customer service is slightly below par, and you're like, oh, this is horribly managed because of the fact that you know <laughs> yeah. your standard. I'm supposed to be greeted in 30 job. seconds, ma'am. You know, like it, so. Yeah, it, it it changes a lot of things, and um, and you know, this isn't a very empathetic um, community that we're in where we we really care about what it takes to do this craft. Um, Hence the the preconceptions we've talked about, but you know, there's this is one of the the sillier ones because we all, or at least most of us, have jobs, and we know that there are things about our jobs, whether you make minimum wage or you're on a high paying salary, that are extremely difficult. Um, you know, you might you might think that it's easy to sit in front of a computer all day while you're serving tables or mopping a floor or cleaning a window or whatever it is, but the the person sitting at that desk is looking at your job thinking man i wish i could mop the floors and you know so like it, everybody has 
a different definition of hard when it comes to, to employment and work. So, and, and this is one of the things where it extends outside of the community, the gaming community, because you can tell, like, if I told my, my, my parents, I make video games for a living, they'd be like, all right, when are you getting a real job? <laughs> it's like the appreciation factor because video games have been reduced to being toys for kids. And, you know, the, the, the notion that we started calling video games art was a highly contested uh, thing where it's like, oh, video games aren't art. I'm like, yes, they absolutely are. So it's like, it's a lot of the, these uh, pre preconceived notions when it comes to devs and what they do and what they don't do and and and, and what their job is and it's a real job. They're doing it's a real job. They're just playing games all day. Like it's 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 one of the things that 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 go outside of the community because you can tell a guy uh, working at a at a you know at a highly touted uh, touted business corporate CEO. I I make video games. They're like, oh yeah, you're. They look at you like you make burgers, which. All those jobs are viable jobs. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It, it's it, it it's all perspective. It's all they're all viable, and it's just crazy how the game devs are, are looked upon as people who got it lucky because they get to play games all day. Man, get out! Crazy preconcept, crazy assumptions, crazy notions. Man, I think it extends to 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 the game testers too. Oh, that's oh easy. yeah, you're just playing something over and over again. Yeah, you're gonna go psycho. If you have to deal with what those people deal with, you have to jump in a corner over and over, making sure the character doesn't head, head doesn't roll off of his body or, you know, like he doesn't get stuck yeah. in a texture and he's flailing around for you have to do that for eight hours. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I got to play God of War early. I also got to play God of War early through like 20 times each time being absolutely broken beyond beyond <laughs> comprehension. It's like, how is that? I had fun? to hit the same button. 87 times every time it loaded to make sure that he swung his leviathan axe and it hit the target yeah. and retracted back to his arm i had to do that for eight hours that's literally that's what this crazy. job is and it's like oh yeah. you got it easy yeah okay we'll see how you'll be climbing the walls in like 10 minutes doing that yeah you guys oh can't handle god. it oh my god i could never do that job so needless to say this uh, this industry here is quite misunderstood with some things that are kind of on point here and there. But I think I think by and large, the community is very out of touch with I, I, what goes into uh, this craft. And hopefully this, you know, shed some light for a few people or just kind of reaffirmed things for our listeners that kind of already knew this stuff. Uh, but nevertheless, um, that's going to do it for our checkpoint chat. And it's also going to wrap up this week's show. So like we said a little while ago, if you enjoy our show and like our content, please feel free to subscribe. We don't paywall anything you're not going to charge you a dime just putting out episodes every monday for you to check out if you're so inclined uh but that's going to do it for us for now so until next time thanks for listening enjoy video games and we'll see you next week peace out